Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody, it's just after 8 o'clock in the UK, that is 3 o'clock in the afternoon on the East Coast and noon Pacific, what an odd day we've had today, warm enough to be in shorts and no t-shirt at breakfast time, hailstones halfway through the morning, decent again this afternoon, then raining uh, mid-afternoon and now desperately, desperately dull. Uh, at this type time of evening. Uh, however, we are ready for uh, Series 16, Episode 20 of Midweek Motorsport. And on a packed programme tonight, our executive producer, Tim Gray, up in London, will tell us we have what? Well, here in the beautiful south, it's been uh, bright and sunny all day. Not I don't believe that of kind of... I don't b- believe that kind of southeast propaganda... Uh, not a drop of rain here today, although we had lots over the weekend. Uh, on our pack show pack tonight, uh, we'll be looking ahead to this weekend's third round of the World Rally Championship from Portugal with Ben Constantius. We will be uh, looking uh, at uh, this weekend's 12 hours of Hockenheim. We've got some Formula One news, we've got some IndyCar news, and we have a big interview uh, with the man at the head of Toyota Racing. Yes, that would be the president of Toyota Racing Developments, David Wilson, who will join us in his lunch break. He's on the west coast of the US, so that fits in perfectly with our just after nine o'clock spot. Uh, not sure whether he'll be wearing his Toyota hat, his TRD hat, uh, Toyota Racing Developments, or his Lexus Racing hat tonight. Um, but he will be joining us. And thanks very much to Pamela for setting all of that up. Uh, let's do a few parish notices. Uh, first of all, hello to Heath Giles. CF saving the podcast to listen to while mowing the lawn tomorrow afternoon. Uh, and the sim racing bar steward listening while practicing for a three-hour virtual VLN race ahead of the N24 I'm taking the Merc 190E Evo 2 in the all-DTM class. Also have my bingo card ready for the Eurovision Song Contest mentions uh, tonight. Yes, um, I was talking to one of our uh, Netherlands correspondents earlier on in the week who has been already this week to the Ahoy Arena. Um, and Ooh. Yeah, yeah, he's been scouting it out for us. We really should have just got over. Hello to Patrick Drone. To Rob Chalmers, who is having an AFA unusually tonight, but he's celebrating his late father's 
birthday in the most fitting way. A bit of on-track action. She's got up to uh, Wigan and three sisters with the Team Bernardo boys. Absolutely. That is a perfect apology for absence. Um, so good, good luck to you. Uh, using that as a potential alternative to the Proof We're Live, he said, I'm going to send you a live timing link from Alpha. Uh, oh, Team Bernardo's on top. Team Bernardo are on top at the moment by 0.139 of a second after 22 laps in the race. And in fact, the top, the top four with Dick and Don in second and Akuri Scott and Dad and Lad in third, the top four within just over a second in that race that uh, Alistair is, uh, sorry, Rob Chalmers is uh, running at the moment. Hello to Mickey Heth. Um, if the playoff final ends up being Blackpool versus Sunderland, does Blackpool Johnny's future work with RLL depend on the result of the game? No, it depends on him putting a red and white scarf on and cheering for us. If he doesn't, he's got no job anywhere. Uh, <laughs> and it'll be Lincoln, so it doesn't matter. Uh, I don't think so. Um, we're just making it more interesting on Saturday. It, it's like a handicap thing, because we're far too good to be in that league. And Nothing the last time performance, you're not. Ah, we only played the kids, man. We'll put the proper team out on Saturday. Uh, Brody, suspect I'll be watching Indy 500 practice catch you on the podcast tomorrow evening. Uh, interestingly, that, um, although it's happening, um, it's not on the UK channel as yet, so I don't know if there's some weather problems there. Um, no, it's because Eve of has Monaco. Uh, Eve has mentioned that she does the uh, staff booking, so Palmer's future is probably fine, unless it comes to Blackpool playing Arsenal at some time in the future future no EFAs after a 12 hour security shift at Gatwick says the Colonel thank you very much for your hard work there uh, and uh, hello to Matt Endine who is doing an auto sorry collecting some last minute parts before doing out uh, going out tomorrow on an auto test uh, at Brands I haven't done an auto test for years used to be quite good in my little Tolbert Samba rally front wheel drive handbrake lots of that um, hello to 24 Hour of Lemons. EFA is spending the night at Warwick Hospital ahead of bringing his beautiful daughter home after six weeks uh, in the Prem unit, born eight weeks premature. Uh, she will be listening next week. 24, we pass the best on to you and the extended family. The collective grows, of course. Uh, hello to Rob Parker, who's listening in tonight. To uh, Brian, not Brian, B-R-A-I-N, tuned in live from work, as usual. What a great weekend for Mid-Ohio. Every race was fantastic. Yes, you're right. You are right. It was brilliant. Uh, Blur Fiend, listening in live from the Porsche Workshop today. Uh, Stacey UK, uh, excellent source. Uh, Duke Video, an excellent source of Father's Day present. Ordered on Saturday, here on Tuesday. We know the guys at Duke. They are always brilliant, Stacey. I'm surprised that it's taking so long to find that. Uh, hello to Neil Gardner listening tonight whilst doing some more brilliant working. NG Auto Art, by the way. Check it out on the web. FAs last week. A bit late from Serafina, but listening live tonight, you are forgiven. Ian McCarthy tuning in live for the first time for weeks. Hot coffee in place of a chilled beverage. 
less than ideal outside the, the conditions. Chris Suku, listening live, just polished off a ball full of pasta, about to took into ice cream, uh, pottering around in the living room for the moment. Alex Orkin, EFAs this evening, uh, after a good hold of Cannelloni. Looking forward to the podcast, though. Uh, Carol Brink, last week of tuning in from the fields near Thermal, coming home Saturday. That is uh, Thermal, California. Good little racetrack over there. Quite a big racetrack, actually. Uh, Right turn lover, evening all. Tuned in. Apologies for presence. Ah, RTL, good to have you. Hope the family's all well. Doug Amner, uh, lemon curd yoghurt at hand for Doug uh, in his time zone. Uh, Patrick Drawn, Matthew Hindman, EFA switching to enjoy uh, Midwater Sport after Indy. So they'll be catching up as Kevin Payne's listening live um, uh, after an enjoyable win at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Paul Markhart listening live. Hello, Paul and Travis. Hope you're both well and enjoying the new Porsche Cayman. Um, uh, Hello to Phil. Up the imps, he says. Quite literally, we hope, on Saturday. Phil, I, listen, I went to my first Sunderland game in 1966, in November 1966. Um, things haven't changed much. And hello to Sarah Rigby. Was that your... Home uh, from work. Was that your birthday? No, your birthday's much earlier in the year than that. No, it's end of October, so I went for my... Close to your 18th fourth, birthday as possible. I went for my fourth birthday. Um... Home from work, enjoying a cup of says Sarah Rigby. Really enjoyed him at the weekend. Great effort from everybody, uh, uh, and particularly Heart of Racing. Very impressed with the candidates listed for the 2021 EMR Driver Academy, which we all the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek motorsport. Almost like we practiced that. If only we had. Uh, so that's the parish notices. Tim has shuffled his papers. And now comes up with this top story. Uh, well, first I need to introduce uh, Nick Damon, uh, who's uh, obviously Hi, very excited this week. Uh, Hi. Okay. Because uh, did you watch the first semi-final last night? I did. I, I saw Johnny's team power, power path, and poor opposition. No, I, I meant the one in Amsterdam. No, I, I, I thought I, t- he's talking about the most important thing on Saturday, which is the Eurovision Song Contest. Oh, that semi-final. No, I did. I, I've told you, I'm going. I'm deliberately going in blind. This mm. is my thing. I've never done this before. I'm going in to the final. I'm not reading any items. I'm not looking at any bookies. I'm just going to view it as I was a blinkered judge from Croatia. That's what I'm doing. Okay. Uh, Nick is here in his role as Formula One correspondent. Hey! And Waterloo, obviously. <laughs> and tactical voting, then, if you're going to talk yes. about Waterloo. Yes. That, that was so quiet, yeah, I barely heard hard. the hooray. Exactly. I, well, I, the thing was, I turned him down because there'd been so much hype about his announcement, and then by the time it got there, it really wasn't that much to talk about. That sounds familiar. Uh, Nick, do you remember the first time you ever yes. spoke to a girl? What, a girl outside my family? Well, presumably. 
because my sister's older than me, so my my, my very early words. Well, and, and your mother, or my mother, yeah, yes, so, exactly. Can I remember the first, yes, we, 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 no, because it, because I went to a mixed primary school and infant school. So, um, you mean can I remember the first time I spoke to a girl in that way? Well, yes. Was it like negotiating with McLaren? Uh, no, because I don't think they were about to offer me a three-year multi-million pound contract, to be honest. I mean, if they had done, it would be much easier than saying, can I have a snog? You would have talked to many more girls many, many more times and with more gusto, wouldn't you? And with less worry about the uh, answer being no. <laughs> uh, so this is Lando Norris, who has a new multi-year contract at McLaren. Yes, well, they haven't said how many years it is. Just say it's going to keep them, him and... Uh, Ricky Tricky Ricardo together, uh, and we know that he's in for three years, so it'll be at least through 22 and 23, and I'm sure there's options after that one way or t'other. Uh, Some people are saying uh, that uh, this is a mistake by Lando, signing so early. Why? Uh, They think he could have shopped around. Apparently he's driving where? He's in the... All right, let's say. So the teams who are theoretically better... Red Bull, are they going to employ Lando Norris? No. Mercedes, are they going to employ Lando Norris? No. Ferrari, this is in the short term, by the next couple of years. Ferrari, are they going to employ Lando Norris? No. So he's gone the best option he could. Uh, what does this mean for the rest of the driving market? Nothing. <laughs> it's always going to happen. What does this mean for... Um what does this mean for Tim's knowledge of Netherlands geography when he's put the Ahoy Arena in Amsterdam instead of Rotterdam? I said Rotterdam. Well, not Amsterdam. I mean, I, I, know, I, know, I'm, I know I'm being a little bit flippant, but the fact is, is there's only one there's only one piece of driver news that matters now, and that's if and when they fire Bottas, because Hamilton's going to continue. Um, Sonoda's not good enough to replace Perez, despite what Perez is doing. They're not going to promote Gasly. I think Esteban Ocon has been brilliant this year, and so he won't get fired by Alpine. So Ocon, so, so Gasly won't be going there. So in the top teams or the top and the middle teams, it's all about Bottas. Bottas might get if Bottas gets fired. You heard it here first. I reckon he'll end up an Aston Martin. And, to replace Vettel, uh, I think we, I think we know who he's replacing. Yeah, um, and. Uh, be a Russell hell of a sight them... cheaper, won't he? Russell, and much more efficient. Uh, Russell will get the Mercedes gig. Mm. Um, and then somebody with money will get the Williams drive. Russell has said and this the, week... Unfortunately, and hopefully, Alfa Romeo replaced, replaced both... Actually, no, I don't think she even actually is doing well this year, actually. Hopefully, Kimi finally gives up. Um, I know that's heresy amongst the entire listening world. And we get somebody new in there. Perhaps it won't be. I don't think it'd be... Um, uh, oh, the English guy tested Callum Eilert completely escaped Callum Eilert yeah Eilert but yeah might be Schwartzman might get more Russian cash in uh, what's George guy, Russell been market, saying he, this week about his contract negotiations he wants long term on the next one next one has to be a long term one what does he count as long term uh, more than 25 minutes in the Mercedes no, I mean it, what he's basically saying is I don't think he wants to do a year by year by year by year which is what Bottas has been doing so he probably wants to try and just put a little bit of try and put a little bit of pressure on uh, on Toto to sign him for a couple of years, but you know it's the the ball is entirely in Mercedes' court because even struggling as they are with their car at sea, they've managed to pull it out the back again. So there's no reason to uh, to expect them not to be good next year, and there's no reason to think 
yeah, you know, that they, they, they um, aren't going to replace Bottas. The only question about, about it is if Hamilton signs a long contract, then do they want to keep Bottas in for harmony and, and doing the job that Perez can't at the moment, which is picking up the third places? Can and he, do they actually want to put a, a, a young charger in there? Can he do harmonies? Is that three-part harmonies? Well, I don't know. I think he can do a two-part harmony. But I don't think he helped himself last week, I must admit. Who could spring a surprise in Monaco? Anybody? Um, Everybody. I'm going to go for... Is it possibly... It's going Think to, of the driver I, I, least it, likely to spring a surprise in Monaco. Nikita Mazepan. Very close. Mick Schumacher? Mick Schumacher. Uh, what, is he going to spring a surprise by not parking not, his car like his dad did on qualifying? I was going to say by just not turning up. That would be the surprise. Uh, who thinks he's going to spring this surprise? Is it Mick Schumacher? Well, I don't know. There's been a lot of renter quotes by Ralph this week. It's Uncle Ralph. Yeah, ten points yeah, for there. Uncle Ralph rents quoting. Uh, Uncle Ralph has been literally quoting on everything. He's 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 ve- given how how lack of how lack lacking he was in in interesting interview questions when he was actually in the gig. And you know because you interviewed him many many times. It's amazing how much how good value he is now his opinions. Did you make well, him he's got cry his boy or just his in brother? as well though, hasn't he? In F three, yeah. Mm. So he thinks that Mick's going to. So he thinks his, his nephew is going to be doing for springing his surprise. What's the surprise he thinks he's going to spring? Uh, he's going to do better than trolling around at the back, finishing only ahead of his teammate. Yeah, he might get past the TV. It's Monaco. There'll be people who don't finish. So that's recently, less they've, they've, true they've recently. Yeah. Okay. If it doesn't uh, rain. They'll, they'll get a lot to the finish and. If he beats anybody on merit, it'll be Latifi because he's out-qualified him. But the problem is, Williams actually isn't a bad, isn't a bad inverted commas, qualifying car. So, um, much as I would I would love to see Mick do something, I think he's just going to have to tread water this year um, because that car's rubbish. And remember, it does start on Thursday at Monaco for Formula 1, although Friday is no longer a full day off because they've got an F. No they've, always, they've always had a race. no, they've always had a race in the morning. Oh, yes, that's right. Mm. That's right. It's just not, it, not the I, Formula One don't come out on the Friday, do they? No, no. They've, always had, they've, they've had two or three in the past. When they had um, every single single seat to pay money to be there, they had, they had uh, Formula 3.5 with Renault and Nissan, and they had um, uh, Formula 3, and they had uh, Formula, well, uh, Formula 3000, it was. They had a pretty, it was a pretty packed thing in the morning, actually. You got three or four races. I've just giggled there because Alan Prosser just said, surprise in Monaco, is Silla Black going to be there? That's very good for the UK audience. That would be a surprise. Uh, and Porsche Carrera, uh, Porsche Super Cup are going to be running there on their new super sustainable fuel as mm. well at the weekend, which I'm very excited to see what uh, difference, if anything, that makes. And who's going to win that race? Patrick uh, Heisman. Porsche. Uh, definitely a Porsche, yes. Thank Any you. particular driver? Still Patrick Heisman. Uh, he's not entered this year, Nick, sadly, as he hasn't been for about a decade. Despite the weather. Yeah, I was going to say, the weather's lovely, but I'm not there. Mm. Um, so a bit of a... Um, who's in form at the moment? Who uh, took two wins in the uh, Benelux uh, Championship at the weekend at the Red Bull Ring? Oh, I don't know, the, because I, I didn't catch sorry, up. Were they lost? They, they were very lost, yes. 
Started at Spa. I think they're off to Hockenheim next. It was like a winding road home again, back to the Benelux. Also, in the Benelux Championship, how many races are actually in Luxembourg? None. <laughs> but they do go to Zandvoort, Zolder and Spa, so... Then again, where, then again, of course, Nürburgring did hold the Luxembourg Grand Prix a couple of it times. It did. Anyway, we've... It was Harry King, the answer I'm looking for. Was it? Yes. So he, he, he won um, the Carrera Cup GP, didn't he? He did. Uh, when um, you say won it, he uh, wiped the floor with everyone else. He... Um, the... Oh, come on, John, get your words out. You only speak for a living, for goodness sake. Um, the, the driver in Ford at the moment is Lauren Heinrich, um, who won in the Carrera Cup Deutschland um, recently for the first time. Larry Tenforder is always worth talking about. Uh, yes, and he, and he's a Porsche he had driver. A good, he had a good start to his season in Spa on the WEC support because he's doing Deutschland again as well um, two weeks ago so but for those size of cars around there, and they are quick the new 992 Carrera Cup cars are quick they are GT3 quick um, never mind GT4 Shea Adams thinks so, Lowe Vorder will win this weekend second uh, Tim sorry I said Shea thinks Lowe Tenvorder will win this weekend there's a she's possibility I think I think that there's a very good possibility. Anyway, moving on. Uh, we're drifting away, or we had been drifting away from Formula One, uh, hmm. but staying, oh, in, back. staying in Monaco. So we're going to drift back, by the way, of Formula Two. Uh, and Ooh, who's back in a Formula Two car this weekend? I have absolutely no idea. He's a Williams reserve driver. Oh, Jack Aitken. Jack Aitken, yes. Yeah, I wonder why he posts that thing about it. it's been 120 days since I felt the wind in my helmet. Yeah, exactly. Um, so he's getting, all oh right. So he's going back. Who's, who's, who's he replacing? Him he's replacing Matteo Nannini, who uh, had planned to do both Formula Two and Formula Three this season, and now, after having done one weekend of each, has decided that he's going to just do Formula Three for the rest of the year. He was quite good at Formula Three, wasn't he? he did quite well in Spain. Yes, he was he's, competitive. He's uh, he's he's not been quite so good at uh, Formula Two, but he'll learn. It's more difficult, isn't it? Yeah, I think you, I think yeah, the whole point of it being a ladder is you don't have your feet on two rungs at once. A very good analogy. <laughs> very good. Um, yeah, okay, cool. What else do we have? From, we, 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 pre, we almost got the calendar right last week, didn't we? We nearly did, and that brings us on to our next story, uh, which is an extension to the contract for the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Oh, so no, back up for Baku then. They're going for it. Badum. How many years? Uh, I can't remember. I think it was seven. <laughs> seven? Well, they're going to have oil money for many, many years to come. So that'll be, that's how long it'll be there. Seems reasonable. It's a good track, actually. I like Baku. I think it's a good track. Yes. It, it promotes, it's got some nice features which make it, which make it memorable and it promotes decent racing. And in Dutch, I seem to drag mistakes out of people. Yes. In Dutch contract news, uh, Dutch Formula yes, 1 fans will have news. to uh, look somewhere else for their TV coverage, with uh, pay TV yeah. broadcaster Ziggo Sport saying it will not renew its contract. Yeah, but isn't that because they've been kind of like 
outbid by another private, another pay TV who's in, who's like like Sky. I've got Sky Germany and Italy and everything else. This this company's got the whole of the rest of the Low Countries and lot of Scandinavia and the Baltic states, isn't it? So this this is Nem. Economy to scale yes. kick in, um, yeah. which is part of Viasat. Um, they don't currently have any channels in the Netherlands. Oh really? How have they managed to get that? Oh, okay, don't worry. I'm sorry. I, this, stu- I tell you what, it won't be cheap either because if you see the numbers they go, we're getting. Uh, I know that uh, Nent are paying thirty million dollars a year. Yeah, is that a lot? It, it is a lot because it's seems a lot for me. I, I think. Evans, I, what, I think, I think I'm paying about people? sixty quid a month. Uh, so thirty million a year seems an awful lot, just to, for F1. Well, if you looked at, if you looked at the demographics and the numbers that F1's doing in, in the Netherlands, you you could see why they can make money out of it. But yeah, um, as you said, Nick, fewer than eighteen million people in there. Uh, Thank you. Given that we have seen um, the the coverage, um, the, the Netherlands coverage, I bet they went, and I couldn't say that. But obviously, uh, I had to fade myself down because they're too like it a is bit very swearing. Very swearing. Very swearing. It's been weird, isn't it? It's weird because like, obviously they swear. They use English swear words. Yes. Which I suppose. Doesn't count, does it? I'm sure. There's, I'm sure there are words in Dutch you're not allowed to say on Dutch TV. You know, there's the Dutch equivalent of the various words we I can't say. But apparently, you can say all the English words. It's fine. Well, I think it's probably because it's it's a pay-per-view channel. But I do re- I do remember Johnny Palmer and I, and I can't. I think we might have been at Le Mans, actually. But we were certainly sitting somewhere, um, and Cher was there as well, and we were sitting there watching the build-up to Spa and there was the presenter and she was standing at the bottom of Eau Rouge and she was seeing how great it all was and at the end of it her sign-off line was an expletive beginning with F in quick and that was it and we it was Le Mans set up yes it was Le Mans set up that's right and uh, we actually it might have, I think Shea the same disagrees. thing happened. Shea we thinks it was in Barcelona at the 24-hour race. Yeah, it might. It might. Well, that would have been the wrong year for Spa, in fairness, um, because the wrong time of year for Spa. Oh, no, would September, it? September would have been absolutely. Yeah, no, that would have been spot on. Yes. Yeah. So okay, I'll give it to Shea for that. It was hilarious. We just collapsed in laughter because we couldn't believe what we'd seen and heard. It was very funny. Anyway, moving on. Uh, More from Nick Damon later on in the programme. But tomorrow night at 9pm, it's another edition of On The Grid, uh, where they will be looking at Australia's 10 most underrated drivers. Have you got any uh, suggestions for that, Nick or John? Underrated or underachieving? Underrated. Mm. Don't know. They're underrated. Underrecognised. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, both Tim and I would put Craig Baird in. But he's from New Zealand. Uh, where's Daniel Antipodean. Gaunt from? Oh, good was call. he Australia or was he New Zealand? I should know this. Um, yeah, anyway. Uh, I... I <laughs> There's a lot of sports touring car and GT drivers who you could put into that. Oh, Daniel Gaunt was born, yeah. in, born in Auckland. He's another Kiwi. Okay. Uh, anyway, they're also... Fortunately, and the boys will know. 
They'll also be uh, <laughs> assessing the season so far for Scott McLaughlin in IndyCar. Um, Excellent. Because uh, he's another underrated Australian who's from New Zealand. Very quickly, uh, Michael Denny's just snuck in the back, but he does say he's got a note. At Specutainment, by the way, if you want to uh, get involved. Uh, so that's on the grid tomorrow night at 9pm uh, here on RS1. WRC is back this weekend, so an opportunity to welcome back Ben Constantinus. Hello, Ben. Hello, John. Nice to be back. And uh, two, uh, amazingly, 222 days since the last full gravel rally for Rally Portugal this weekend. Uh, obviously, uh, an all-gravel rally, as that's what I'm talking about. There's been elements of, of off off piste, if you will, or off tarmac <laughs> in what we've done. But that's significant because Pirelli, the... Uh, the new, or back to being, the sole tyre supplier. I've got a new WRC tyre, at least, the Scorpion KX, and it's not done a lot of testing. The teams have not done a lot of testing with it on dry gravel, and one or two drivers are a little bit concerned about that. Yeah, absolutely. Every time we go to a new surface this year, there's lots of learning to be done with these new Pirelli tyres. It was the same in Croatia last time out on the tarmac. Uh, the longest uh, of our announced distances so far. Uh, we've got four gravel rallies coming up, starting with this Portuguese one at 337 kilometres in competitive distance, uh, 20 stages. It's actually a big old rally, a traditional mm. rally, a rally we know well, stages we know well, uh, famous stages as well, and uh, a, a huge amount of uh, action across from now un- until kind of basically July. We're just on the bounce going from gravel rally to gravel rally. Well, and you talk about the route. That's, that's a good place to start, actually. 337.57. Oh, is that a one? Ah. 5.51, I think. <laughs> um, competitive uh, st- stage miles or stage yep. kilometres. 1,500 uh, all told. So it's a prop around the houses. And Friday with, all right, 123 kilometres competitive. But am I right in reading, I've, I've looked at this, am I right in reading that there's no service once they set off on Friday until they get back at eight o'clock at night? There's no interim service there on Friday. That, that, that's actually, uh, that could make things very interesting. Yeah, you've got to be really careful on Friday because the uh, announced start is, I think, about 50, 60 kilometres away from the service park. Uh, we go south. Uh, and then the stages uh, of that Friday are all around that uh, starting area. So the the olden days, you'd move the service park. But yeah. these days, uh, the service park stays in one place. So there is no service and a huge amount of stages, eight stages in all, including uh, a super special stage around the rally cross track of Louisiana, mm. um, which is closest to the service park at the end of the day. So when we get to that point, which will probably be a live TV stage if our memory serves, the cars will be in a right state because <laughs> it's not just uh, it's not just coming off the track. Every stone that gets flicked up, flicked up from the, the road tends to rip off bits of bodywork. So the cars will look uh, very, very tired by the time they get to... Uh, uh, into service in Porto on Friday evening. Uh, Saturday is almost 50% of the competitive mileage, 165 mm. uh, kilometres. That's a big chunk uh, on Saturday. Um, Sunday looks a piece of cake, 50 kilometres or so, but Fafet's twice. We got that famous stage at Fafet twice uh, on Sunday, so there is a bit of a sting in the tail. Amaranti on Saturday is 30, nearly 38 kilometres in length. I think that works out yeah. to be the longest stage that the drivers will have seen this year so far. Um, and as you say, 
a lot of rallying to do Saturday. Uh, and then Faf, very famous, uh, used to be a long stage, used to be about 25 k's in length. It's now only 11 k's. So it's it's a short su- Sunday, but there's you know a 10 kilometer stage, a break, an eight kilometer stage, a break, an 11 kilometer stage, a break. Uh, that kind of rhythm is just as tiring yeah. uh, as doing a big, long 40K stage. Yeah, I was going to say, sometimes that stop-start thing is more difficult to get yourself into the groove with than than doing a 20, 25K stage and then another 25K stage. I agree with that. It's, and it is going to mean that the times are going to be incredibly close as well. And trying to make up time on Sunday is going to be nigh on impossible unless somebody makes a yeah. mistake. Um, leader of the championship, Sebastian Auger, uh, comes into this with 61 points ahead of uh, Thierry Neville on 53. Very tight behind Neville. We'll talk about that in a moment. But Auger already a five, has five wins on this event. If he wins it again, that'll set a new benchmark. Um, how is he and his Toyota teammates going to go this weekend? They, they are sitting pretty in the championship as well. It's going to be tough for Sebastian Auger to get a repeat victory. He's going to be first on the road. Uh, into Friday. So unless the weather stays as it is at this second as we speak, which is quite wet, quite soggy, um, if it dries up, then he is effectively the road sweeper getting rid of all of the loose rocks and he doesn't have as much traction as the guys behind. And, you know, when you look at someone like Calais Rovampera, back to fifth in the championship, having not finished uh, the last round, he's going to be very, very strong uh, to get a great result from fifth on the road. Um, and even further back, Adrian Formo, mm. uh, Gus Greensmith, Danny Sordo, I think, is on the entry list this weekend for Hyundai as well. So he'll be one of the early runners. Uh, he'll be one of the late runners on Friday. Uh, and yes, ultimately, Seb is going to struggle, but uh, he has a nice, healthy advantage of the championship after that incredible victory in Croatia. Uh, and. So he's doing the rain dance because obviously if it does get wet, the stages aren't as dusty there bizarrely in some respects as it gets a bit claggy, offers um, sometimes more grip than if he was just skating across the top of the the little ball bearing type gravel that would be sitting there. So he's hoping for that. And again, that comes back to these new Scorpion KX tyres as well. By the way, the other championships outside of the WRC, and if we get a chance, we'll speak to Ben about that in a sec. Um, they're using, they're not using a brand new tyre. They're, they're using something that Pirelli have used before, so it's a little bit more tried uh, and tested. Um, we didn't mention Elvin Evans there, another Toyota driver, third in the championship, only 10 points away from Augier and only two points behind Neville. Obviously, he'll go off third. Is that far enough back for, for Elvin to do some some damage to those around him on on that uh, on that re- really torturous Friday loop. It's uh, it's a state of mind that I can Ooh, I'm slightly concerned good. with Elvin. Mm. He should have been he should have taken victory uh, in Croatia. That was his to, to to win, and he lost it on the very final corner. How has the last couple of weeks been? Has he managed to reset? Has he got the confidence in, in himself again? Ultimately. I think he just wants to drive a really consistent Friday and he's very good at that. But so is Sebastian Auger and, and see where he finds himself uh, on Saturday. I don't again, see him taking a victory, uh, but you know, he's taken two podiums, two seconds. And that's why he sits in a, in a strong position in the championship. Auger's won two, but he DNF'd Arctic. Mm. Uh, Thierry Neville has been third three times and I don't see him really improving on that. It's going to be Neville's teammate, Oik Tanak, who I believe, sitting fourth in the championship, 
after a horrible Croatia. The car is at its best on gravel for him, and he's my tip. Yeah, and that that's a good spot to start to start for for Oit, isn't it? And and you know we talked when we talked about Croatia. He was the one who seemed to be struggling most with that Hyundai um, in in those conditions. Has he got the mental? You talk about you know state of mind. Has he got the mental strength to come back here and and say right, what's gone's gone. I start again on Friday morning. Yeah, because I don't think Oit um, would have blamed himself for the Croatia performance. Ah, yes, I think he would have. He was very kind of. I don't even really know what the word was, but he was kind of done with the weekend when it, after Friday had finished. Uh, and he just kind of finished the rally, was happy enough. Um, you know, non-plus, I think is how I would describe Pragmatic it. as well. You know, he just, he did yeah. what he did. Yeah, yeah. He did what he did. He knew he couldn't do more. If he pushed too hard, he'd have an accident and he'd get no points. So he got some points. He knew that starting fourth on the road on Friday would be a great place in Portugal. And of course, we're moving into four gravel rallies where he can slowly creep himself back into contention in the championship. So I think uh, he, has the, he has the confidence in himself uh, to get the job done. Another, another. Uh, um, I mean, you, you, you mentioned Robin Perez, a Toyota driver. Obviously, he has to come back after the, the disaster yeah. that was Croatia. Um Let's let's talk about the, the Ford drivers. Uh, let's not forget Ford. Um, Adrian Fermor uh, is back, the Frenchman, and uh, he's earned this. Uh, ad- is this an additional opportunity for him, uh, Ben? Is it because I, I I thought he wasn't doing this round originally. No, he wasn't expected to do this round, mm. and and his his specialism is certainly on tarmac. The French. Uh, come from a very strong tarmac rallying background, uh, and uh, Adrian has has learned his craft on tarmac. So that's why Croatia was a fantastic place for him to start, and he starred. Um, let's see how he gets on on gravel. It'll be very very interesting to see if he can keep that momentum and that positivity um, moving into a very very different surface. Uh, I'm very keen to see how that works out for him. Unfortunate for Temo Sunan, who unfortunately therefore once again, gets bumped down into WRC 2. Yeah, absolutely, which we'll talk about in a second. Quick word about Gus Greensmith in, in the, the other Ford. Now, that is a full season entry, of course. An eighth, a ninth and a seventh um, so far for Gus. Uh, building a new partnership, of course, with the new core driver. And is, is gravel better for him than, than Tarmac? He's really struggled across the start of the year. Chris Patterson alongside him now definitely was a step up in Croatia. Mm. And I believe you can do, uh, I, I believe Gus is comfortable on the gravel. Uh, it's a, a rally that he'll know well, Portugal, uh, stages that he'll know well. There's lots of things that can give him confidence. He's taken the car uh, on these Portuguese stages before as well, uh, the WRC car that is. Mm. And so, yeah, I hope to see a, a, another strong performance from Gus. Um, and you know what he needs to do is hit the ground running on Friday yeah. and get good stage times in on that first day when road position will really benefit him. Yeah, that that's a good point because he starts uh, further down. Uh, if it's dry, expect to see the hard compound uh, tyres pretty much everywhere. If it's colder and wetter, which as we said, Ogier will be uh, thinking that would help him a lot, then perhaps we might see people going on to the softer of the two Pirelli compounds. Uh, I want to talk about WRC uh, too, because um, Andreas Mikkelsen uh, isn't there. Leader of the 
the championship and he's he's tested positive for COVID. So, I mean, absolutely nothing he can do. He, he can't go. No, gutted for him. Um, and that seems to have come from uh, when he was at Targo Florio, which was about 10 days ago. Mm. Um, he took part in that and came back and after a couple of days started to feel ill. So got a test and found himself oh, uh, right. with so COVID. He did, so he did have some symptoms. It's not as if it was yeah, a, yeah. A, a, a normal test and he was asymptomatic. Wow. No, he, he did feel a little bit ill. So that's why he went and got a test. It wasn't a test to, to allow him to come to, to Italy. So a bit of a shame for Mickelson, but uh, there are these drop scores and things like that in, in the WRC2 category. So it won't absolutely destroy his championship challenge, that's for sure. And and it'll still provide us a, a fantastic uh battle in WRC because there's so much talent uh, within that category. Yeah, and I mean, he's got a big lead, 68 to his, to 33 of his nearest uh, uh, competitor, and that, he scored, that is his scored uh, uh, teammate, Bulaccia. Um, and, uh, are they all here this weekend? Is Esapek Alapi here this weekend? Obviously, four yeah. more is not there. Uh, Mads Osberg, is he is he running? Because he didn't do the first yep. two. All right, okay, so there is an opportunity to make some ground up for some of those guys. Yeah, we've also got Oliver Solberg back in the ah, Hyundai. Yes. Yeah. So he's in an R5 WRC2 rather than in WRC, which I think was the last time we saw him when he'd had that uh, Arctic experience. Martin Prokop is actually back in a proper WRC2 entry this time. He's He's run a WRC car for the last couple of years it never really fit it was an old wrc car so it didn't fit into the into the wrc category and it didn't fit into wrc2 either but now he's in a proper what we were used to call an r5 and now a rally two um ollie christian Vaby's in there eric camely's in there uh temo sunan nicola is in um it's going to be just as fascinating to follow wrc2 which i know is harder because there's less uh, coverage uh, of them, uh, especially when we have a, a healthy WRC entry, we don't get so many onboards onto WRC too. And that's the reason why yeah. on the broadcast you don't see them. But it's going to be incredibly um, competitive. And as you said before, they all know the Pirelli tyre that they're running. It's yes. not the same as WRC where no. they're running it for the first time. Pirelli already supplied that tyre to most of the competitors last year and gained knowledge to put into the WRC car uh, last year in WRC2. I want to finish off, we don't normally go all the way down to junior WRC, but we had a maiden victory for the Ulsterman John Armstrong in the Ford on Croatia and by he drove very, very well indeed. Now that was their first round of the championship, so comes into Portugal this weekend as the championship leader. Uh, Road position, does that, that, that make as much difference for, for the junior standings or is it better to get through quickly before everything gets rutted up on the gravel rallies because they don't run in front of WRC now do they? No, juniors are at the back of the, the entry so they always run on horrible roads <laughs> uh, they, they always have the worst conditions and that's why it's a huge battle of attrition in WRC just to, to basically survive uh, and the reason John did such a great job was in Croatia so many people had big, big accidents. So many people had uh, issues and he just kept his head in. Didn't have too many issues. He finished the power stage with a slow puncture. Um, had to change his tyre in Park Ferme to get himself back to, to service after the podium. Um, wow. But uh, a great story. Uh, nine points ahead of Martin Setz uh, and Sami Pajari, who is the kind of the tip for the championship, is only down third after having various incident and accident. 
front wheel drive Portugal stages. Uh, so it's it's going to be really hard for them uh, and a very different challenge to what they had in tarmac in Croatia. Yeah, it's all going to be about where they can find the grip, um, isn't it? To be honest, it, by the time they get through, I always think they get the not so very nice end of the stick, uh, to be yeah. honest. But we'll, we'll finish off again with WRC. Um, Augier looking for another championship. Um, it, he'll do very well to get his sixth win here starting on Friday, particularly with no service all day Friday, as we've we've mentioned. But good points, I'm assuming, will be what he's aiming for in his Toyota. Um, you you said Tanak. You think Tanak might do this from from fourth on Friday to give him the launch pad into Saturday and Sunday? If they've got the right, if they've tested the the right conditions, their pre-event test was in the same conditions as what they will experience on Friday. Then Hyundai should be absolutely mega. Uh, sometimes Hyundai get it wrong. They mm. they their Fridays are a bit weak. We saw that with Thierry Neville quite a lot last year. Uh, but I believe if it's dry, Tanak has the good row position for Friday. He can build a huge advantage that others will chip away at uh, on Saturday and Sunday. But ultimately, I think uh, he should be able to get maximum points. And OJ will be aiming probably for a third on the podium. That mm. would be good enough for him. Uh, perhaps the likes of Kalarovan Pera. Uh, getting the, the the second position or, or the win as well. He he has the opportunity to fight back and, and challenge Tanak, but ultimately that Hyundai just seems so good in Portuguese roads that uh, that's what I would be tipping. Is there even at this early part of the season, Rovan Pera from fifth? You know that's a good. That, there's there's the good springboard on Friday for Rovan Pera, and my goodness, we know he's going to be he's going to be fired up. But would you? You know, would Toyota swap people around at this early part of the season to give Augier, particularly if Neville is doing well, to give Augier the, the better championship finish? No, I don't think they would. I think Hyundai would. Yeah. Uh, Hyundai always play those games. Uh, and, you know, they will look at the championship calendar and they'll go, OK, we don't want to start first on the road in, at this rally, so we can forego a few points here to get us a good road position yeah. there to ultimately build up so that at the end of the season, they are in the right place at the right time. Uh, but Yari Mati Latvala, you know, he's a driver and the ultimately the team principal now at Toyota, and, and uh, he will support OJ at the very end of the season. But right now, you know, Elvin is only 10 points off. Exactly. So it's difficult to favour OJ over Evans. Uh, and Robin Pera, if he hadn't DNF'd in Croatia, would be right up there too. Yeah. Uh, Yari Mati has said, all three are in contention for the championship. We'll sort it out a little later on. What I do think they will be looking at, though, is Portugal, then Sardinia a couple of weeks later, mm. then Kenya, which is an unknown <laughs> rally. So that gives someone like Kale Robin Pera a better chance because Sardinia and Portugal are known and experienced counts. Then Estonia, before we go back to Tarmac and Belgium in August, You'll be planning for making sure you're in the right place because leading the championship on tarmac in Belgium will be the target right now. And that's four or five rallies away. I love the fact that they're already moving their chess pieces around at this stage of the season. Friday is going to be the big day. Make sure you uh, tune in if you can with that 123 kilometres and no service. Ben, brilliant as ever. That's going to make my watching of the weekend uh, (laughs) even even more exciting. Cheers, mate. Thanks for coming on. Cheers. Bye-bye. Ben Consiguris and that rally, as I say, starting on Friday. Right, Tim, where would you like to go next? Well, you mentioned uh, NHRA earlier on. So I we're did. going to go to NHRA and uh, hopefully we can be joined uh, from the US by Shay Adam. 
Hello. Who's very You're quiet? Scared, I know. You've scared. That's because she was scared. She was backing she, away from the she, mic. She's not she expecting, expecting to talk about NHRA, is she? No, no. The National Hot Rod Association. Go ahead. I'm. I'm not Jamie Howe. Uh, no, but you could be. Hmm? There's only one Jamie. That's very true. There's only one she as well. Anyway, Aww. go ahead. Uh, so. Uh, the NHRA was racing at uh, Concord in North Carolina at the weekend. Four wide. Four wide. It really is fun when they do that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in the funny car field, a uh, rookie uh, winning on his <laughs> debut. Uh, no, uh, this is the most Would- successful funny car driver of all time. John Force winning again at the age of 72. Yeah, and I was trying to find out how many times over he's a grandpa now because I'm pretty sure this is his first win since Courtney and Graham, Graham Ral, welcomed Ral. their uh, new baby into the world. But yes, how about John Force beating not one, not two, but three other drivers at the same time to come home with a win after doing the run 328.78 miles an hour? That's not bad for uh, a not-so-old guy. <laughs> Extraordinary. Uh, he missed last season completely because of uh, coronavirus. Uh, and yeah, then so decided this, was... this year that he had to come back. Because uh, he said, I had it for 40-something years and I took it for granted. When it was gone, I'm just sitting over there and nobody wants to talk to me. And then you get, just, you get sick of just looking at all your trophies. I needed to get back in the car. So, in other words, his wife wanted him to get out of the house. Possibly. <laughs> Moving on, uh, let's talk a bit about IMSA at the weekend, Cher. Uh It was a good, good weekend. Um, the final results came out. Nothing changed from when we last left our heroes. So, that's the, the first and foremost important news. But the interesting thing... The points that, uh, as a result, and John, we we talked about this a little bit during the countdown to green, the Michelin countdown to green. If you change your qualifying tires, you get zero points. And that actually has played an effect on a couple of drivers in the championship, namely uh, Andy Lally and John Potter in GTD. They changed their tires. They moved to the back of the field and they lost all of their qualifying points, which means that they are now right in the thick of things. They hold seventh place in GTD, but eighth place is right on their tail. And as far as the sprint championship is concerned, it actually moved them down about four positions by taking no points for that qualifying. So it just goes to show how important it is. And then in in DPI, we had three cars, of course, that uh, elected to start from the back of the grid, taking no qualifying points. That problem meant that now the 31 car, which finished second in the race, they qualified second uh, or third on the grid. They actually vaulted ahead of another car as far as the championship is concerned, and they are right up in the battle for third. It's going to be interesting when we get to Belle Isle because that is a GTD sprint-only race, GTLM no-points race, but for DPI, full thick of things for the championship. Do we know how many GTLM cars are going to be at? Uh, uh, Detroit, Shay. One. Dose. One or two. One Dose. or two. Shay's confident may... of two. Uh, uh, Corvette haven't decided whether it'll be one or two yet. Oh. Is what I'm being told. But there'll be oh. no Porsche. There'll certainly only be oh. one manufacturer. 
Uh, yeah. And in fact, actually, as we spoke about at the weekend here, it's not actually a, a point scoring round for GTLM because of the fact that uh, uh, the WeatherTech Porsche is not going to be there. Yeah, um, it is a schedule conflict uh, due, due to uh, coronavirus and, and the schedule still changing around and, and availability being open and not. Uh, the weekend that was not scheduled to be a Ferrari Challenge weekend now is a Ferrari Challenge weekend. Cooper McNeil very much involved in the Trofeo Pirelli championship battle there, trying to take his fourth consecutive championship. He is going to be at Homestead Miami Speedway, which is now that same weekend. And Detroit was on a different weekend to begin with. Um, that weekend was supposed to be Montreal, I believe. So a couple of things that came into play and ultimately only having the Corvettes there or Corvette potentially means that there really isn't a value in making it a, a championship race for GTLM, but they're still good. They still have 10 or 11 rounds uh, outside of that for the championship in and of itself. It's the month of May, and we uh, move on to IndyCar, and the road course version of Indianapolis took place on Saturday, Shay, and another debut winner. And another 20-something-year-old winning in IndyCar. Uh, that's four out of five that we've had so far this year. But I should have seen it coming. I, I should have picked him before the weekend began. Renus VK was so impressive last year. Remember, his battling with Colton Herta left us breathless. He made a pass, split the difference between two cars coming down the back straight, and took the lead, and then pretty much uh, didn't give it back. It was Roman Grosjean who got the pole position. But uh, Renus VK was the impressive driver of the day as far as coming through and, and taking an unexpected victory. But who would have ever thought that we would have Ed Carpenter racing, um, not Spam, but Aerosmith, Peterson, McLaren taking a win, um, Chip Ganassi racing taking a win, uh, all before we get a Penske win so far this year. That's a, a little bit of a surprise. You mentioned a 20-something. Arenas VK is the sixth youngest winner in IndyCar history. Can you name the five who were younger than him? Oh, uh, no. No, I can't. Um, Rossi? Would Rossi be on that list? No, Rossi's way down. Oh, he's, he's no, I can't. Than the, than the, than the oh, looks. I know one of them. Holton Curta. <laughs> yes, he is uh, number one on that list. 18 years, 11 months and 25 days when he won at the Cota in 2019. Yeah. Um, I don't know the others. Do we though. have to go uh, back a bit for some of these? Oh, um, Graham, Graham Rahal. Graham Rahal's number two on the list. 19 years, three months, two days at St. Petersburg in 2008. Um, John, any guesses? Marco Andretti. Marco Andretti, 19 years, five months, 14 days. <laughs> Infineon Raceway, Sonoma, um, 2006. How far we have I to go on back, Tim? Well, this is obviously all-time record, so we've had 105 yeah. Indy 500s, or 104 so far. There'll be 105th <laughs> one this year. Uh, but the, the others are all quite... Well, one of them is a long way back, and the other one is rel relatively recent. Um, and it does Joseph include Newberg? Cart as well and Champ Car. Ooh. Mm. No, um, my my brain has smoke coming out of it right now. Number four would be uh, Jimmy Davis, who was 20 years, two months, and 29 days old when he won at the Del Mar Fairgrounds on the 6th of November 1949. He led all 100 laps of that race. 
And uh, wow. number five is Nelson Philippe, 20 years, two months and 29 days uh, at Surfers Paradise in 2006. Oh. Interesting. His only Very win. Very interesting. Very uh, interesting. Just the, the others in the top ten are Scott Dixon, yeah, uh, who's seventh, nah. Sam Hornish Jr. at eighth, Thomas Schechter ninth, and Greg Moore at tenth. Oh. Aw, rest in peace. Red gloves are all. And uh, yes. j- just just missing out on the top ten, Alonza Jr. and Ryan Hunter Ray. Hmm. Seems uh, like a long we... time ago. Uh, but since then, they've switched to oval mode, and they have been testing for a lot of hours yesterday and a lot of hours today. <laughs> Well, it was supposed to be a lot of hours yesterday, but there were uh, quite a few red flags for raindrops falling on people's heads uh, across the first session at the very least. They did have a very interesting start to things when the four Penske cars went out of the pit lane as soon as things got going and made almost a declaration of force. They came across the start-finish line in a row and then came back into the pits. So that was just a one-and-done sort of thing like, hi, we're here, our boss owns this place. Um, but it was Graham Rahal who was fastest in the first practice session. Will Power was fastest in the afternoon. And right now there are two hours and 19 minutes remaining of the session today. It's been six hours nonstop, basically. Um, Marcus Erickson, quickest uh, in the number eight Husky Chocolate Chip Ganassi Racing. I love saying that. I presumably love eating it as well. Uh we're, there's a day off tomorrow, uh, and then they're back for qualifying at the weekend. Is that right? I believe that's correct. They have a two-day schedule. It Qualifying for the Indy 500 is a big deal, and, and in and of itself, it is um, a, a bit of a spectacle. You know, they call the Indy 500 the greatest spectacle in racing. Well, qualifying for it is its own thing. On Saturday, they set the top nine and the bottom six, I want to say. And then on Sunday, they set the fast six. But there is bump day this year because mm. we have 35 cars going for 33 spots. And right now, it's pretty hard to figure out who's going to get bumped. My gut is saying Carlin uh, with Max Chilton and the Top Gun Racing and for, for R.C. Anderson. But that's just because those seem to be the two cars that are struggling the most uh, well, as Marcy of Anderson now. had uh, uh, a bit of an issue yesterday. Really lost out on track time after a uh, leak of some kind of fluid at the back of the car. Grace out of the um, drive shaft after that out of the half mm. shaft. So that kept them out for most of the session where they were supposed to be doing their, uh, was it the 215 mile an hour laps? Depends which part he so, was yeah. on, yeah. There's, there's three stages before you can go out and qualify or go out and, and run with everybody else. Run with the big boys. Uh, and yeah. girls. Yes. And girl. Mm-hmm. Yep. Simona led yeah, a session so- yesterday. She did, too. Um, And somebody pointed out that um, she's actually running Roger Penske's first number in IndyCar, which I thought was kind of a nice bit of symmetry, too. Um, Qualifying for Saturday, and this is all Eastern time, noon to 5.50 in the afternoon, and that's the the cutoff where you need to be in that window or else you're going to be bumped if you're not in the top 33. 
Sunday morning, there's a one-hour practice session, 11 to noon. And then the last row qualification is 1.15 to 2.30. Fast nine, that's the big time. That goes from 3 to 3.45. Uh, so that's uh, IndyCar qualifying this weekend. Uh, before we get to still to come, uh, just going to quickly mention NASCAR, which uh, is making its debut at the Circuit of the Americas this weekend, Shay. And, and it's going to be awesome because it's supposed to rain every day, Tim. Lovely. Have they not been there before? No. Oh, no, it was, nope. uh, it was um, supercars. supercars that run the short truck, didn't they? And yeah. uh, NASCAR's running the full long version. With Trucks, Xfinity, and Cup. So, and there's a lot of familiar sports car names running. Yeah. yeah. Cup are running a quarter. Yep. Yeah, and Kyle Tilley's in one of the cars wow. for Cup. Well, that was going to be my um, next Andy point. Lally Kyle and Tilley Pompelli. making his NASCAR debut. Yeah, Kyle's in it. Um, Pompelli and Lally are both in Xfinity. Pompelli making his Xfinity debut. We've got Cameron Lawrence and Trucks. There's a lot of familiar names to sports car fans. And then, you know, you think about the road course ringers that always come into Xfinity. Well, how about Austin Sindrick winning last weekend? And uh, who's that other guy? Oh, yeah, AJ Allmendinger. I hear he's pretty good on road courses, too. Uh, and presumably someone who uh, has been doing Xfinity all season in Santino Ferrucci, uh, not able to take part because he's qualifying as Indy. Well, yes, he'll be attempting to make the show because it's not a guarantee. He's not locked in. Nobody is. So no. uh, Ferrucci will be lamenting the fact that he can't go and take an opportunity to uh, run well in Xfinity. Uh, more from Shay later on uh, in the show. But now this. Midweek Motorsport. Half time. And while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. Uh, busy second hour and we have actually we, we're looking forward tonight to the much delayed start of World Superbike Declan Brennan uh, will join Nick Damon as they look ahead to World Superbikes I might chip in a bit on that myself uh, and we've also got some big GP news after a bonkers mad at Le Mans French Grand Prix at the weekend four seasons in one race never mind in one day. Your submissions please to at Specutainment. We'll squeeze as much of that in uh, to the second hour uh, as well uh, as well everything else that we haven't talked about quite Maybe yet. Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com So just after nine o'clock here in the UK and delighted to say that our big interview is on the line from the Pacific coast of the USA. Hello to David Wilson, who is the president of Toyota Racing Development, or TRD. And it's amazing the people that you meet in elevators. That's where David and I first had a a proper chat at Daytona. It seems about a million years ago, David. How's the last, what, 14, 15 months been treating you and Toyota and Lexus? Well, uh, John, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on on your show. Um, it's uh, I enjoyed our first chat, as you said, in the in the elevator, and and it's been far too long since we've had a chance to catch up. Um, obviously, like like the rest of the world, the the last uh, year year and a half have been uh, 
quite interesting. And um, we've had our, our, our ups and downs, but uh, the great news is, is we're um, all getting back to what we, what we used to know uh, as normal or, or a close proximity to it. And uh, Toyota Lexus here in, in, in North America are, are really doing great. Our, our team members are um, have really risen to to the to the challenge and and so proud of what we've accomplished just by pushing forward and and getting back to the racetrack you know last year and uh, and and so every it seems like every week we're we're back to the racetrack it's getting a little bit better a little bit more comfortable um, a little bit quote unquote more normal so. As normal as we can hope for in these times. We should say TRD, for those who don't know, Toyota Racing Developments, but you look after the Lexus side of things. Before we start talking about our beloved endurance racing, and IMSA in particular, how closely linked are the fortunes and the potential for the racing side of things with, with what goes on in the automotive side? Because it's easy for us to forget who are fans that Big manufacturers, well, any manufacturer, really can't go racing when things are in a difficult time. And it has been a difficult time for every manufacturer, large or small, recently. Yeah, it really has, John. And, and you know, motorsports, one of the, the biggest challenges is to actually quantify what that return on investment is. Um, you know, ultimately, we're, we're engaged in a sporting activity. It's, it's entertainment. Um, Yes, there, there's all kinds of rationales to why we're engaged, whether it's, you know, a technology transfer, whether it's, um, you know, challenging our team members, learning, growing. Um, but I rem- remind our team all the time that that what we're not doing is building Camrys and building Tundras. So we can never take for granted, you know, how fortunate we are to do what we do. But I tell you what, one of the things I'm proudest of, John, having now going going on now 32 years with with Toyota Racing Development, is is ultimately the long term commitment that Toyota has towards motorsports. And um, you know, on a relative basis to some of our our competitors, Toyota is is a relatively young company. But um, you know, as, as you well know, we like many companies have been through ups and downs over the years, whether it's the tsunamis in Japan, the, the, you know, the recession of 2008. And, and all through that, we've never wavered relative to our commitment towards motorsports. And, and, um, and that, that's something I'm really proud of and I do not take for granted. I've always said, and obviously we've had very close connections with the, the guys at Toyota in Europe, uh, particularly with the World Endurance Championship. I've always it is that Japanese thing about doing things honourably. And, you know, they came into the, the WEC a full year and a bit before they were meant to because it helped out. They've they've shown loyalty towards it. And, and there's so much of that about the way Toyota and Lexus globally goes about what they do. We're interested in sports car and endurance racing and GT, of course. But that's not all you guys do at TRD, David. How many programmes have you, you got under your wing at the moment? Yeah, so so just stepping back, John. Ultimately, uh, Toyota Racing Development Tier to USA is responsible for all uh, motorsports activities for both Toyota and Lexus uh, in North America. 
And, um, you know, presently we, we're, we're engaged in, uh, in a handful of different programs uh, on the Toyota side, probably our, you know, without a doubt, our, our biggest focus is NASCAR. And there's a lot going on in that area. But, uh, but on top of that, um, uh, NHRA, uh, AKA the National Hot Rod Association, um, we're, we're engaged in, um, in some, some off-road racing. We're engaged in some open wheel, um, uh, you know, the, the, the USAC and PowerEye midget series. Um, one of the things that's important to Toyota is, is our commitment towards grassroots racing. And so, you know, again, you see a lot of the, you know, the dirt racing with the, with the midgets on every, you know, dirt track across this country on every given Friday or Saturday night. So it's, it's not just the, you know, the big, you know, televised um, uh, features like NASCAR, but it's all the way down to the, the you know, the local, you know, grassroots racing um, on, on Lexus, on the Lexus side, it is all about uh, IMSA and our, our GT3 um, Lexus RCF. Uh, it, the, the two programs that we see in IMSA, of course, most uh, closely is that the RCF, um, which after a bit of a difficult birth has become really successful. And, and at the weekend, you were going for four in a row at Mid-Ohio. Yeah, oh, I feel your frustration there, but it was a cracking, cracking race. Interestingly, beaten by another V8 front-engined car, of course, in in the the shape of the guys from from Munich with Bill and uh, and Robbie from Turner. I'm also very excited about the new Supra program because we had an extra Supra at the weekend in the, in the Michelin Pilot Challenge. Now, first of all, Supra is a great name to have back as a street car. And surely it's only right that it should be racing, David. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was I was uh, I, I, I missed that one. But but you you hit it on the head, you know, with this with this uh, new generation Supra um, from the very beginning, you know, all back to Japan. The, the the decision, the challenge was we we need to put this car on track. And um, we were uh, incredibly fortunate to be to be a part of that, and and raised our hand to to be the the exclusive distributor and service arm for uh, for North America. So we have um, an allocation of, of supers. We've sold every super we can get our hands on. We've actually sold now fourteen or fifteen of the the GT4 cars. Wow. We have only taken delivery. Uh, of about eight or nine of those, but uh, as you mentioned, on the uh, the IMSA side, we have uh, two now two full time supers running with with Riley Motorsports, you know, a, a terrific outfit, and um, and so we had yes, we had the second super on track, and and we're you know we're still getting our feet underneath us, um, you know, we have had some some great success on the SRO side. Mm-hmm which is the other uh, GT4 arm here in North America with, with two wins, you know, in our first, I think, three races. So um, we're, we're, we're confident that we have a solid, a solid race car. Um, but as you know, uh, John, you know, GT4 is, it, it's about a, you know, customer racing and, and um, in many cases, gentlemen racers. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's been really fun to get that super on track and, and see what it can do. Um, we're, we're very optimistic for its future. 
you bring up a good point there about customer racing because for so long, I suppose, and, and particularly for people of a certain age, and I think you and I probably fall into that, when we think about manufacturer racing, it was about works teams, about factory teams. And then the guys in Stuttgart or near to there and Weissach, Porsche, made a very, very good financial uh, situation out of selling customer race cars all the way through the 70s and 80s, probably taking a bit of the 60s there as well. And then with the advent of GT4 and, and GT3, which has been massively, massively important in growing Grand Touring and endurance racing, more manufacturers, including yourselves, have, have been involved. Um, Supra's a great brand. The, the, the Lexus GT3 car, the GT Daytona as we know it, th- now... Are we? Is there an opportunity for customer, more customer cars in that? Because we we haven't necessarily seen quite as many as I thought we would of the of the RCF. If I'm honest, it's a great looking thing. It's a great sounding thing, and it has been successful. Yes. Yeah, so, so let me give you a little bit of a background on that, uh, John. You know, so so first of all, on on the Lexus front, um, what's most encouraging to me is I truly believe that this time around, Lexus is here to stay. Uh, We've had some fits and starts in the past. You may remember uh, the grand, you know, back in the IMSA, the the Grand Am days, actually. You know, we ran a a prototype Lexus-powered car with Chip Ganassi. We've had, you know, terrific success with that. We've had a couple of of, um, saloon type of cars with the IS, in various uh, forms and fashion, but um, we really haven't had the staying power because there, you know, to be honest, wasn't uh, a true global commitment towards motorsports. But I'll say right now that Lexus recognize that um, performance as an attribute is actually quite important to that brand. They have quality nailed. They, you know, they have luxury nailed. Um, I just look at JD Power for that. The, 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 you don't have to say that. You, the independents will tell you all about quality uh, and luxury in terms of the premium nature of Lexus. Sure, but but in that segment, as you well know, John, I mean, name find find a name of a of a luxury manufacturer that isn't also engaged in motorsport, mm-hmm. and and so that I think that realization has hit home with Lexus. And what that is spurning is some exciting product. Uh, we did a couple of parade laps Saturday afternoon after the, the Michelin, uh, uh, the GT4 race. And I had the chance to, uh, to be in a, uh, a Lexus LC 500. And oh, oh my gosh, uh, around that, that mid-Ohio race course, we had more fun than should be legally um, uh, permissible. But, um, but, but back to your question, um, Here's 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 the the challenge we have with with our our Lexus RCF, which is a which is a great car. I have one parked in my garage. I love it. But here's here's the reality: is that car was developed and came to market before there was the vision to actually race it. Right. And as you well know, John, the 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 fact is when you're when you go to um, design a car and and take it through development to production, you need to have the foresight 
before you put the first mark on the piece of paper that this is going to be a GT3 car. Yeah. So while the spirit was correct in like, hey, let's race this, the reality <laughs> is that we didn't have a very good GT car. And and it's and it's a bit of a Frankenstein. It's taken a lot of work to get it competitive. And 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 what we have, you know, candidly is a commercially um probably not very viable Got you. customer car. It's just too expensive. And, and so we've struggled to get more than a couple of copies out there on, on track uh, here in the U S. So what I'll, what I'll say is stay tuned ah. because there is product in the pipeline. I can't say more than that. Oh, but, um, it is, it is exciting. We cannot wait for what the future holds for Lexus and racing. Okay. So that's looking down the line maybe medium term for that because we know that things in the automotive industry work on product cycles and I know whilst product cycles are getting far shorter than they were when I first started getting interested in cars and probably you as well that's something that that can't really be altered and you have to wait for whatever the new product is to come down the pipe to turn it into a GT car potentially but coming up in IMSA next year no GT Le Mans cars that's served its purpose in the US. It's still great in Europe. Probably the biggest class at Le Mans this year or, or near to it, certainly with the AM entry. But we've got GTD Pro in IMSA next year. Does that excite and interest you guys at, at Lexus? Well, you know, stepping back and looking at the big picture and understanding the rationale for, um, for this, I, I think, is exciting because... You know, ultimately, IMSA are trying to, uh, you know, simplify the, um, the 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 categories for our fan base, and and honestly, this is a conversation I started having with Scott Atherton, you know, a decade ago, about you know, kind of how complicated globally it is for our fans to understand the various you know categories. So I think there has been a vision for a long time to uh, consolidate the GT ranks. Honestly, we hope that this spreads to Europe mm. and, um, and, and, and ultimately that through that consolidation, there might actually be a path for a GT3 car to race at Le Mans. That would be our dream. And that's what gets, gets us excited. So, you know, in, in, the, in, in, the, in the near term, um, we are taking a, a hard look at what this means, you know, the pro category and, and what the opportunities are and, and whether or not it's the right fit. Um, again, we, we, we kind of feel like right now we're already punching above our weight with a car that, that, you know, we have to work with and, and we just need to make sure that, that we, um, are strategic in, in how we move forward. So, so again, big picture and for the, the long-term success and growth of GT racing um, were encouraged and we think it's, it's directionally correct. Um, how we step through that the next couple of years, we're still, we're still considering. Uh, sort of a side question to that. And I want to double back to something that you said there before um, we, we wrap this up. So I'm, I'm, I'm very um, cognizant of, of your time precious here, David, uh, and thank you for giving it to us this uh, afternoon as it is for you um how much 
um, how much independence in terms of strategic planning does Lexus, Toyota, US, and therefore TRD, because clearly there is a global motorsport program for for Toyota in in the bigger bigger sense with Gazoo Racing uh, based in Europe doing the rally cars, doing the uh, WRC uh, Le Mans hybrid cars, LMH the hypercars. Now, is there room for you guys to work? either alongside or perhaps even away from that for something that works better for the US style of racing and for your potential budgetary requirements in terms of what you guys need to do to get that return on investment you were talking about? That's, that's a terrific question, John. And that's, that you know, speaks to you know, kind of the, the, the global... And, and local strategies um, that Toyota and Lexus um, uh, put forth in, in motorsports. So to give you a, a little bit of insight to that. So, um, you know, ultimately I think, you know, part of Akio Toyota's uh, philosophy is that, um, you know, various markets, whether it's a, a U.S. market, European, Asian, you know, they, they have different um, different needs. They have, um, um, you know, different, uh, you know, distribution sales plans and, and ultimately your motorsports program should be tailored to those markets. So the easy example, um, would be NASCAR. Obviously NASCAR is, is an American based, um, that is, we have complete autonomy for that complete accountability rests on our shoulders for the NASCAR program because it's very much a, a local program. Yeah. Um, however, with, with GT racing, as you well know, John, that, that is a, that we're talking about an FIA homologated race car. And, and, and we also know that with that homologation comes the requirement to sell a minimum number of cars globally. So, so ultimately, um, as it relates to sports car racing, there is a global strategy, and and this is managed by by Lexus International in the case of of, of our Lexus program, um, and and we work uh, hand in glove with our colleagues in Japan because they also recognize in order to be successful and in order to comply with the homologation requirements, mm. you have to have the participation of your major distributors just to, to meet the volume yes. requirement. So, um, so, you know, the answer is, is we have a little bit of decentralization when it comes to our specific uh, markets and, and what fits for our market, but then for the global programs with the, you know, with the FIA level homologations, we really have to work as, as one Lexus across the uh, across the globe. Does that affect then, David, how you guys in the States would think about, and you mentioned the Chip Ganassi Lexus-powered original DPIs, would that affect how you would approach going forward any kind of medium or longer-term planning to DPI 2.0, LMDH, with the Lexus brand? Clearly, Toyota have got a, a hypercar, Potentially yeah. that could race in in the States, but it's a rather different proposition. 
Do, how okay. does that affect all of that thinking and, and the potential? Because you guys, I know, will have been talking about it. Yeah. Well, now, now you bring up, uh, you know, a, a really interesting consideration because, um, um, you know, we're, we're in a little bit of a grayer area with, uh, with the, the newly advented uh, LMDH, uh, which is the, the um, you know, the successor to our current DPI program. Um, honestly, as a, as, a, as a motorsports fan, I'm excited um, at that direction. I think, again, I think it's directionally correct. It, um, I always say sometimes we need a sanctioning body to protect ourselves from ourselves, right? Because left, left unchecked, us engineers will just get out of control. Very good. Spend too much money. So, um, so, so we, you know, we are, we are fans of that. Um, honestly, John, I would love to help Lexus um, or Toyota um, one day um, take the next step to, to LMDH. Um, to LMDH rather than just rebranding the GRO 10 as a Lexus. Do you think that's important for Lexus to have its own identity for a predominantly IMSA-based category? And from your point of view as TRD in the US, having a predominantly IMSA-based category using the predominantly IMSA, well, in fact, the IMSA visualisation of of a global sports car top class well you know what what i'll say this quite humbly is the the branding strategy uh is is above my pay grade right my my job is to help our 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 partners uh win races and championships and and i'm brand agnostic what whatever suits our company whatever is most important is 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 um is fine by me. Mm. The the fine points of the John and what I'll say is is before we look out at the horizon of LMDH, we still have something to prove at the GT level. And and I've always said this. I probably said this to you when we bumped into each other two years ago. And that is that you know part of our culture, part of our our commitment is is to win where we are first. Okay before looking out at the horizon. Um, we recognize that Lexus as a brand and as a brand competing in most sports is very, very young. Yes. And we're competing against brands literally that have been racing for a hundred or more years. Um, so so we, we still have to earn our stripes and we're in no hurry to advance up the ladder. We love GT racing. We, I, you know, we're racing against on any given weekend, eight other manufacturers. That's what gets us excited. That's that's what, you know, on the NASCAR side, really what hurts is, is there's only two other manufacturers besides Toyota. So, um, you know, so so we, we've got some, you know, work to do where we love the, the GTD category. Um, we're excited about the new direction the vision that, that I would have, John, is one day, you know, we have, again, we have perhaps a more correct, proper GT3 car right. that supports itself as a customer program, as it's Love meant it. to be. We have that racing, just 
you know, on a, on a, on a continuous basis, like our competitors do. And then we have a couple of cars running on the prototype side as, as more of the halo yeah. for, for the brand. It does strike me that Toyota Lexus is in a, a quite interesting position, particularly with these new regulations, LMH, LMDH. We haven't seen LMDH, but LMH is very young. And it, there's the opportunity, isn't there, to take a shot at both of those regulations and exploit them as, as best you can with two partner, but potentially you know different parts of the company. And having them both on the grid at Le Mans is something that I've now got a little thing. In, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm writing your proposal for you to, to, to the guys. Listen, I, I'm, I'm appreciative of your, of your time. I'm not going to ask you to comment on that. That would be un, un, unfair. But you've now got, got me thinking. Um, just something to finish off. TRD. Does TRD still have a co- com- a, 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 a corp? Sorry, a customer-facing side to the general public for for tuning and and all of that sort of stuff? Because I re- I remember some of my friends years ago, and I'm talking twenty odd years ago, who got stuff sent from the states for some of their Toyota Hilux pickup trucks and and stuff like that. Do you st- guys still have that public-facing uh, outlook yeah. in the US? Absolutely. And, and thanks for asking that question, John, because, you know, we hit on this a little bit ago. All the racing, it's, it's fun and it's great. But in the end, it's also about helping helping our company sell um, sell, sell Toyotas and, and Lexuses and, and the TRD brand. And what I am so proud of is, is the fact that we're able to leverage all of the equity in that brand. Mm-hmm. And that is tied to so many of our vehicles now, as, as you may have heard, John, we, you know, we're getting ready to, to launch this next generation NASCAR Camry. It's not just a Camry, it's a TRD Camry, which mirrors the production TRD Camry. Right. So, so yes, we have nice. the, the TRD off-road editions in our Tacomas and our Forerunner in our Tundras um, that make up, you know, almost 50% of the mix of those trucks that TRD brand has become so popular. Um, accessories, absolutely, all over the place. And and again, it comes back to the fact that because we're successful on the racetrack, it it propels the and lifts that brand. And um, and, and we have uh, so many terrific you know fans who who appreciate that and are proud to carry that TRD badge on whatever Toyota. That they're uh, that they're driving. I can't hire anybody say Tacoma without thinking about Russell Dickerson's Blue Tacoma song that I always hear on the radio when I'm uh, I'm out in the US, which has not been for quite a long time. David, it's been an absolute pleasure to to reconnect after a, a smashing chat, far too short, and we've been saying we were going to do this for for a very long while. Thank you. And everybody at TRD and Lexus Toyota in the US for their enthusiasm and their support of the sport that we love, whether it's IMSA, off-road, NASCAR or NHRA and, and drag racing. And by the way, anybody who hasn't been to an NHR race, go. It, it, it's, you need to recalibrate your mind, particularly for the four wide uh, at, uh, at Atlanta. That's, that's, uh, that's absolutely bonkers. David, thanks very much. Enjoy the rest of your day and thank you so much indeed for your time. Best of luck for the rest of the season with Supra and Lexus in, in IMSA. Thank you so much for having me, John. It's been my, my pleasure, my honour. Hope to see you soon. Oh, 
Absolutely. Uh, That is uh, David Wilson, president of TRD, our big interview tonight. Tim Gray is up in London. Tim, where would you like to take us next in the wide world of motorsport? Uh, Well, first of all, let's uh, say thank you once again to Pamela Jansen for arranging that interview. But tomorrow night is where I'm going to take you to. And at 8pm tomorrow, it's time for the latest episode of the Simcast. And this week, they're going to be reviewing the Thrustmaster SF1000. Uh, which apparently is a steering wheel. Uh, also uh, discussing whether Formula 1 2021 is turning into Madden. Uh, they'll be looking at the Olympic format in GT uh, Sports and there's updates from Race Room and uh, uh, updates uh, or latest results from all the esports, including eNASCAR. That sounds fair, like a fairly busy program. I'm going to have Generally to listen is. to. Uh, I, I'm going to have to listen to this program again, because um, it's now just sinking into me. Now that we've we've let David come back to work, what David was saying about a few things there, magnificent. I suspect that might not be the last time we speak to Mr. Wilson, and uh, thank thank you very much for. For that amount of time, I'd spec entertainment. If you would like to get in touch with us, uh, an hour and forty minutes still to go, Indy for the practice, uh, and but only twenty-eight minutes left to go here, unfortunately. Ah, uh, so we can't see it all. But we do need now to uh, preview uh, something that's getting underway finally this weekend after finally. a delay of more than two months. Uh, it's the first round of the World Jonathan Ray Championship, uh, Superbike Championship, <laughs> uh, and joining us to preview that uh, are Nick Damon and Declan Brennan. Hello again to Nick, and good evening, Declan. Hello, all. And hello, Dex. Hello, everybody. Ah, oh, well, Aragon, it kicks off this weekend, gentlemen, and... Uh, hmm... Is it going to be another Jonathan Rear benefit? Uh, he's looking for his 100th World Superbike victory this weekend at Mortarland, Aragon. Uh, a late start, Dex. What, what are you, first of all, what do we need to know about this weekend? Where are the, where are the changes happening? Well, uh, sadly, uh, uh, what we need to know is that almost certainly the obvious is going to happen. That's what we need to know, <laughs> uh, which is, it, it's, it's a mark of the uh, grip, the voice like grip that Kawasaki and Jonathan Ray has on this series is that, that I am not expecting anything different as much as I, I, uh, Nick and I have been tasked with the, with a, uh, coming up with rational reasons why somebody else will win the title. And then at the end, giving you those reasons uh, when, as we tie things up. I don't see past uh, another year of, I wouldn't say domination. I think things might get closer at the top, but I just see uh, a pattern of, of Jonathan Ray and that bike being good enough everywhere, not necessarily great everywhere, but good enough in that combination for him to win the title. So, uh, and, and as a perfect example of that, this weekend, uh, I I don't necessarily believe starting at Aragon will uh, will be great for Kawasaki. I think it, mm. we'll probably see Ducati, uh, whether it's 
Chaz Davis on one of the private bikes or whether it's uh, uh, Reading or, or Mike and Ru- Michael Ruben Rinaldi on the on the works bikes. Uh, I probably think we'll see uh, a domination from uh, from uh, Ducati, but I certainly believe uh, we will see a level of competitiveness that will probably mean uh, multiple podiums for Jonathan Ray uh, and and probably even for. Uh, uh, for Alex Lowe's as well. There's a bizarre start at Aragon, uh, in particular. I mean, obviously that's where it kicks off this weekend, Nick. A very uh, odd uh, situation because of of what's happening. But the last 19 races here have been won by only two manufacturers: 11 by Ducati and eight by Kawasaki. Actually, first and second uh, in those 19 races. Um, by the two manufacturers. The bizarre thing was that before 2014, when this run of wins started, they hadn't. Neither of those manufacturers had posted a single win in Aragon. They've got this place nailed now between those two manufacturers, haven't they? Well, isn't that just more indication of how the uh, the World Superbike ecosystem has changed in the last six or seven years? You know, we've had uh, seven years of. Uh, of Kawasaki dominance, including obviously that, that win by Tom Sykes prior to the race. Many championships, the, the, the most often closest challenger has always been Ducati. There's been a, a, a disappointment and very slow comeback from Yamaha and, and a constant round of problems for Honda. So, uh, and BMW, of course, as we know, it's always going to be their year, TM. But um, it doesn't surprise me. that team, is he? Yeah, he is. He is. He's absolutely. He's, he's taken over. But you know, it's 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 it is. I think you know, to to both agree and disagree with Declan's opening statements. Whilst yes, there is a clear favourite. You you can make a you can make a very solid argument for both uh, Top Rack and um, brain just died on me there, which is never useful. Uh, Scott Scott Reddy, thank you very much. Um, Being much, much more serious challenges in there, you know, Scott in his second full year and knowing significantly more of the circuits and the bike and the way things go and the flow of the weekends. And he wasn't that far apart. I mean, it was a drift back rather than being completely massacred by uh, Jonathan Ray. And and Top Rack just needed to get a little bit more consistency and perhaps ease into his own skin as leading the Yamaha team. So I think there's there's a a good chance of more competition. I must admit, I don't really see much um, from Honda that makes me think we're going to see them take part. And again, BMW have promised they've got a better engine and everything's going to be great. And they do have two extra bikes, which might help them. But you still feel they're two years behind. Do you not think Bautista Dex can do something this year? He didn't have a, a, a bad... Year in 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 nineteen, which was effectively his, his rookie season in 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 World Superbikes. Uh, he runs on the the nineteen HRC bike, but I mean, th- there is a part of me that says that Honda haven't been very Honda like, and it is always this year is going to be the big year. And in terms of of road bike sales, we've talked about this before. It's really important for the CBR thousand RR dash R to be good, and it, it yeah. hasn't quite hit hit the straps yet. Well, I think the seven letters you have to uh, look at are T E A M and H R C, and that's the important part <laughs> is the the fact that it's a it's a works team. It's, yes, it's a fact. This is well, it's it's it was a works team on, uh, under 
when it was nine out of ten cats, and then it was a works team when it was Morawaki. But but there's there's a works team and and or effectively being the team. Uh, with the works name on it there's two different so, things there yeah, isn't there exactly. yeah. there's, there's a different thing from being a work supported team or even a works team in waiting and having team HRC yeah, on the side and, of the bike and they can't afford to fail uh, and last year well they've been, they've been not very good year, in, in, in MotoGP either have they there for the last couple well, of years that, that's a fair point but it, it, we you have to give them uh, the, the mitigating circumstances of last year uh would suggest that that you have to give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. But what then what we saw was that the very few times we saw comparisons and testing, they certainly hadn't made leaps forward. And I know they've done a lot of private testing. Uh, to be honest, they did that last year with the introduction when HRC took over and with the introduction of the bike, they did a lot of private testing. Uh, so it's hard to know. I, I'm not going to say I, I would be confident they're going to roll up at, uh, at, at Aragon and be competitive or uh, be ultimately competitive at the very front of the field. Although I will say that bike's very quick in a straight line. Uh, if it's, it's hard to know, but I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I kind of see them, they better be in this for the long haul. And, mm. and because and I suppose it's not going anywhere. It's staying with Asia or C than they are. Uh, I, I just don't know if this is the year, if the, Yamaha, that their Yamaha's platform is so settled Effectively, so is so is the uh, the Panigale, and certainly uh, the the ZX or ZX uh, Tenor is a is a. In fact, if anything, it's 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 a almost a dinosaur. They just keep tweaking it and doing wonderful things to it, and just making quicker. Granted, it's effectively a there's new body work, and it's a it's a it's mm. a there's a lot of changes this year. But but the the people who have all the work to do really uh, is uh, of the top four manufacturers there is is team hrc and it's yeah. hard to do that okay. if you don't if you don't get hit the ground running it's hard to catch up it is it's a it is hard to make significant progress during the season so if we if we accept then for the first round that, that kawasaki and and ducati have a wee bit of uh an advantage because of history um which the riders well, horsepower, in fairness with Ducati, the wee bit of advantage is a, a bike that has fourteen billion horsepower. <laughs> and I so Well, I, I think until they ban the actual afterburners that they have on on the bike, they're gonna continue to have yep. uh, to have that. How do we what do we think, Dex, of, of some of the, the Ducati riders then longer term? Charles Davies had a had a tough year. Uh, last year, although to be fair, by the end of the season, I think in the last three races, I read somewhere recently, he outscored everybody else in the last three races. But he, he lost his his works ride. He's with Team Go Eleven this year. Um, you've got Scott Redding, who is on the Aruba Ducati. You've got some good riders uh, on the Ducatis this year. Can Ducati mount a championship challenge with with well, somebody? We- we talked about this last year, and I think Nick agrees with this, is that uh, they they did that crazy thing where kind of in and around what would be contract time, uh, Michael, Michael Rubin Rinaldi had a really good weekend at, at Aragon uh, and and won, uh, won dominated uh, race one, I believe. And uh, I don't know if he arrived back in the garage and they immediately signed the contract for the following year, but that's <laughs> kind of what it felt like. That, and... And they treated, I feel they treated Chaz Davis badly, although, and the frustrating thing for Chaz is that he's he's a notorious slow, to, to your point, he's a notoriously slow starter. 
uh, both in races and it seems in seasons. And uh, the reason I believe he's on the Go 11 bike is, is absolutely because of what you said, is because where the level of performance he reached in the second half of last season, that you know there was fears that he was going to be out of out of out of uh, a top line ride completely. I, I could see him being as competitive or close to being as competitive as the as the Aruba IT guys. But uh, uh, to to answer your question, I think they have. Uh, I don't think they have the strong the strongest possible uh, full factory lineup. I don't feel like Ronaldo is the right guy to compliment Scott Redding. Mm. Uh, Nick, um, obviously we all are looking at Jonathan Ray, uh, but then then who else is going to who else is 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 going to challenge then across the it's it's not like. To be honest, when you look at this, it's not like we are bereft of good riders there. I mean, we mentioned Bautista. Um, I I think Garrett Gerloff is coming along well, but he, he perhaps isn't on the right bike with the Yamaha. You've got Isaac Vinales. We've mentioned a, a couple of people on a couple of the Brits. Uh, you've got Tito Rabat, who's still got something, I think, to give. Michael Vandermark, all right, he's struggling on the... The BMW, but he, he does all right. Who who's going to be there? Who's going to be there or thereabouts? Well, I think it's going to be as I said, he's Scott Redding and uh, top rack Raz Gat Lioglu. Yes, took a slow run. I had it. That's yeah, um, very good. Much better you. than last year. Thank you. I'm, I, I see something has improved over the courses. You know, I think it's interesting, really. I mean, because I mean, I'm not I, I'm, I'm not as confident that as as Dex Alex Lowe's is actually going to contribute very much. Um, really. He's, I, 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 I'm looking at, you know, I think, yeah, he, he's going to get the, he's going to be the occasional podium guy, but he's not going to be anywhere near challenging. I, I, I think this, it's interesting. I think that the decision by Ducati to pick up Chaz on the Go 11 bike was, was very wise after, you know, perhaps jumping at Michael Rubin Rinaldi, just because they probably really, one thing I have been looking at, the, the World Superbike grid is very old, isn't it, mm. on the whole? And Rubin Rinaldi is one of the youngsters at 25 or 26. So, you know, it was a kind of a passing of the generations. But I think, you know, I, I, I think it's going, to be, it's going to be closer at the top. And, I, and, and if I was going to say, and I think the Ducati could very well pick up the team's championship. I think that they, they, you know, they've got three good riders, whereas I feel Castle here got one really good rider and a, and a backup. But also Garrett Garlock, Gerloff, sorry, yeah, there's, 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 there's a good three-bike run with the Yamaha as well, with Andrea Locatelli, we've not talked about yet, True. who is who's absolutely the coming star. Now, it's his first year after what can only be described as utter, complete, total domination of supersport. And if he can just bring any of that form into this year, he'll win races. But, yeah, you know, but he obviously, it's unlikely he can mount a challenge this year. But I'm, I've got, you know, I, I, I'm prepared to say, I think that yeah, Kawasaki might win the Riders' Championship, become third in the teams. Dex, Yamaha is... Uh... The YZFR1, um, all right, but that's a good balanced team of riders there. What do you reckon for Yamaha? Well, I, I am a giant top rack fan. In all fairness, I'm an absolutely normal sized human being who loves him very much. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I. I am. I, I, so, I, so you're the absolute opposite of opposite Dibble for Top Cat, are you? <laughs> I. I just see so much ceiling for him in terms of his talent. Like he is, we it's, I feel like we haven't scratched the surface and they, and they made mistakes. He has a kind of a, maybe this is the wrong comparison, but he has a kind of a Jean Alessi uh, thing going on where he's got this, 
just insane level of ability, uh, but not necessarily being channeled the right way. Like they made, and that might be partially due to his engineers as well, because they made some real mistakes and lost their way last year and kind of went back to first principles towards the end of the year and it started to click and he thought, oh yeah, they've got something here. Gerloff differently spent the year learning, doing a beautiful job, I thought. I thought he did as well. That's why I mentioned him. Yeah, just learning his trade. And and he'll come back a completely different rider this year and absolutely mentally buoyed by the impact he made in MotoGP. I have no doubt that that he's just going to think, yeah, I'm... Uh, I've I, I can see what's in front of me now if I do if I do this job right, and Locatelli. Well, what else could you do? You had to put him on a factory bike. <laughs> what, like he literally was so much better than everybody else in, in Supersport, and he, he you had to give him the chance. And there, there, so there's there's three Don't different. Girl off is only twenty seven, twenty eight. Yeah, it, it, uh, you know the good. The, the beauty of of uh, of the way things are are moving for American riders is it's it's an absolutely brilliant shop window for uh, the, what a uh, step ladder the um, Moto America Championship can be. Yeah, because uh, uh, you look at how Bobier is beginning to find his feet in, in Moto Two, and but but Gerloff Gerloff has has a real chance. He knows the tracks now. Obviously, he knows the tire. He knows this spec of bike. He he doesn't have any excuses. Put it that way. He he absolutely needs to be viewed as somebody who should be now contesting for wins. Uh, that's the, the 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 rookie season. That's gone now. Locatelli obviously has that in. But but Locatelli might go out and do if he can continue with the mindset and and work the way he did last year. He could win races. He was ridiculous at times last year. So yeah, this Yamaha team is on a balanced bike. That's that's kind of uh, a, a, almost like a junior version of the Kawasaki in terms of its performance everywhere without necessarily having outright performance anywhere. Uh, I think it, it gives those riders a chance at every track. So, uh, all right. Uh, we Listen, we, we haven't had the opportunity because things have been so busy to do our full series preview this year. But if I was to ask you, Nick Damon... Uh, who's going to win the championship? Would you say anything other than poor old Johnny Ray? The thing is that you have to be an absolute <laughs> fool to say anything else. So I'm going to say uh, Scott Redding. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. It's all in the timing. It's all yes. in the timing. Declan, it's, what do you reckon? It's, it's It would be churlish and ridiculous uh, for me to pick anybody else. Uh, other than Johnny Ray. So that obviously means I'm going for top rack, Razgat Leon. <laughs> All right. So neither of you have gone for Johnny Ray. That's outstanding. But I, I like the Johnny idea. Ray, please? Yeah, you can go get in there quickly, mate. Get in there quickly. I like the idea that, that, that as Nick says, that Johnny, Johnny Ray could win the Riders' Championship, but they might come. Um, third in the, in the constructors or in the team's championship. Before I let you go, Dex, we, we've got a bit of MotoGP uh, news uh, to, to come. I, I want to very quickly reflect on Le Mans. Um, a lot of people are talking about why do you have Le Mans at that time of year? 100 and ridiculous amount of, of falls at the weekend, including, I think, 80 at, at turn three at the Dunlop chicane at the weekend. Well, you can't, and I accept that, you know, that's bad because you can hurt people and, 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 and. Um, 
However, you cannot deny the entertainment value of what we saw from the Bugatti circuit at the weekend. I, for bikes, I love it. I love oh, that track. I love track that track. I, I, I genuinely, and it's a real test. It's, it's, I, it's terrific. It. No, I, I, you can put it this way. You can always complain about about uh, at the time of year you race somewhere, but to me, it's kind of like. Uh, when you when you go to spa, you you know it's going it's it's almost certainly going to rain no matter what time of the year you go, <laughs> and uh, and the track it it's it's the same for everybody. Uh, uh, the mixed conditions of qualifying were 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 just uh, honestly give give that's all I want in life is uh, is qualifying a, any qualifying session on a drying track. Oh no! Uh, in, with with in, two, three, or four wheels, Jeremy Shaw and I say yeah. exactly the same. I was talking to Jeremy about something else at the weekend before we did our uh, IMSA stuff, and I said, and he said um, something about what have you been doing? And I said, I've just been watching qualifying from Le Mans, and it's just the way we like it. Last man across line gets pole. He said, was yeah. it was it wet and dry? I went, yes, exactly. It's yes, brilliant. It's a, we had a we had a, a for for like sixty seconds in. <laughs> Qualifying two, we had a Honda lockout of the uh, of the front row, and and I have the international feed commentators, and they're going absolutely berserk. And you know, uh, Mar- a lot of people is- in the UK had the international feed commentators because believe it, believe it or believe it not, Dex, for you in the states, we had it on ITV four at the weekend, uh, oh. and they they took the whole international field with Steve Deer and the rest of the team. Um, from Steve Day and Matt Bird, yeah, yeah, and, and, and they yeah. get they get very excited, and and they got very excited at the idea of of uh, of Mark Marquez being back, only for three Yamahas to go quicker. It was uh, sorry, two Yamahas on a on a on a Ducati to go quicker. It was uh, it was great stuff. But I, I the track at that time of the year, bring it on. I want I, you need those variables. You, you need uh, I I don't know Nick what you feel about it, but I I'm a I'm a I love the flag, the flags, and I to oh, be honest, yeah. first time in four and, years, and, first time in four years, uh, Nick, we've had a flag to flag. Yeah, I mean, I, I have no. Problem. I mean, Valentino's moaned about it, but you know, I thought it was great. I mean, I must be one thing. I, I you know, I, I don't know if it's just me. Did you feel that the director had forgotten to take his riddle in this weekend? <laughs> He couldn't stay on one shot for more than about four seconds. You couldn't work out what the hell was going on. And also, at the same point, obviously, he'd given Mogadon to the replay guy because he hardly showed any replays, including the really important <laughs> one early on, where Esperago took out, took out three other people virtually. And We he, never – that you know what? what? You're absolutely on? right. That was infuriating. Yes, that's because, true. Because for a while, it wasn't apparent that Aspargaro hadn't t- – Morbidelli wasn't the victim of Aspargaro. You you thought he was. It was actually his yeah. own. It felt like – you know, but you, you didn't get an explanation of any of that stuff. Uh, that is absolutely – that's a fair comment. I will what say – uh, Yeah, and their choice to go on board at points was – I mean, honestly, I, I, I just felt that – I, perhaps water got in the system, but I thought it was sad for a time when he got on network TV in the UK. I thought it was incredibly subpar TV coverage the whole weekend of MotoGP. That said, a great story with Jack Miller winning um, yeah. despite being through the gravel, having two long lap penalties for pit lane speeding. Um, uh, Johan Zarco in second for the Premax, so good news for Ducati. Zarco, Zarco is is bemoaning the fact that, and he's and I, I was screaming at the TV. Actually, he said he should have come in a lap earlier. He'd have won the race. Yeah, he would. And uh, and and I I do not understand why some of those riders, particularly the ones with less to lose, didn't come in one lap earlier. I, I'm it very surprised some people didn't come in and put, went back to slicks. 
towards the end with six or seven laps to go, mm-hmm. seven or eight laps to go. Because I think if you're sitting at the bottom end of the top 16, what have you got to lose? You, yeah. You, you do that. Quattararo. Now, Fabio Quattararo, his season absolutely fell off a cliff from this race last year. I thought, Nick, he, he rode a very sensible race this year. Just had his arm pump surgery, which all the bike riders will tell you, oh, it's not too invasive. It doesn't worry. He's still been cut open, for goodness sake. And he's on a bike. He finishes less than 50, fewer than 15 seconds away from the leader. And, and you know, world championship-wise, that wasn't the worst thing that could have happened to Fabio he, at the weekend. He was chuffed to bits that third when he got yeah, over the line. Agreed. He'd stayed on. He got the points. He hates mixed conditions. And he had obviously probably had no pain. And he's sitting there going, this is just championship stuff. I'm just need, I, these are the ones I need to tick off. You know, the arm pump cost him 21 points, which he should have had. But he knows about building a championship. He, the reason he knows about it because he knew how he threw it away. Yeah. But we've all seen Johan Mir last year. Without, with no one, without a Marquez going out and winning seven races, making it impossible for everybody, suddenly you have to build a championship at races you can't win. And he couldn't win that one. The guys were much quicker in the wet. So Mark Marquez could have won the race decks at the weekend, and um, yeah, he, he yes, did, he, he and was he very literally fast. threw himself at the at the scenery twice, not once but twice. And yeah. once your airbag's gone off twice, you, you're not allowed to continue. Actually, I'm not sure how many people realise that. Vicious. So he said that again, Nick. That high side in the first corner looked vicious. Oh yes, it was. He, it he was landed his bad arm. Uh, I yeah. tell you, the biggest loser was to me was uh, was was Alex Rince. Yeah, uh, biggest biggest uh, and. And I'll go back to what we said in our preview when I, uh, I used uh, the word if, which is increasingly looking like I didn't make it a large enough if, uh, <laughs> because he he is he is doing everything he shouldn't be doing. Uh, like uh, fell off coming week out in, the week pits. Out. He fell off coming out the pits after yeah. the bike swap. He's so good and he is so brainless at times, and it's just he can't. Uh, the, and again, we go back to things like. Uh, like the uh, uh, hours was it his first win? Uh, when instead of settling for second place, yeah. he decided to push the Suzuki and fell off. Yes, uh, like he's he, and that's I'm, the problem, though, isn't it? Isn't that the problem that that he, he needs to turn it down? Um, not just down to eleven. He needs to, you know, I mean, he's up at fifteen at the moment. He's always at it, and he's got. And and if he had taken the points on offer, he'd be challenging for the championship decks. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's this it's that mindset where he he's going to lose his like ride. You know, he's going to lose well, his ride. That's, you know what? I mm. I after that race was over, I sat down and I looked at it and thought, this is nuts. If he doesn't smarten himself up, that's he is going to be in in the window seat. It's not going to be it's not going to be mirror. Uh, he just needs to he needs to somehow just dial it back. And, 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 you know, channel a little bit of his teammate mm. and he'll be fine. Look at Zarco. Zarco had, oh. a, as it turns out, as it turns out, it was a, a, a transmission issue that where he, when he fell off it, if he hadn't dropped the bike, which now turns out to be no fault of his own at, uh, at, at Estoril, he'd be leading the championship. Oh, now. I know. 
I know. I, I want to say a quick word, and then we have to move on. I want to say Alex Marquez, again, did a great job at the moment where he did a great job last year. All right, it wasn't a, uh, a podium this year, but he was the, the top Honda uh, and just ahead of uh, Takaki Nagami's teammate for LC. Are um, uh, and Paula Spargo, the three Hondas came in sixth, seventh, and eighth. Uh, big news though, Nick, about um, VR46, Valentino yeah. Rossi's team. Um, money talks? Well, maybe not. No, no, no. Uh, yes, he's, exactly. Yeah, he's, he's opted to go with Ducati. They take, they take their satellite team, well, their cash to pay for their to be a satellite team um, next year for the start of VR46. Uh, despite a an offer being on the table from Yamaha, which we've seen Yamaha switch their current satellite bike Allegiance from uh, Petronas, who's riding for the moment with Frankie Morbelli, over to uh, Valentino. I mean, I think my feeling is that that says to me that Valley is going to retire this year. Because mm. um, you, know, you know what it says to me as well? It says wildcard at, at Mugello <laughs> next year to say goodbye. <laughs> No, I'm serious. Yeah, he, yeah. he might be right. He might yeah. be right. I think that's what he's going to do. I think because he won't want to retire with no fans. I think that will be the last thing he'd want to do is to finish his career without uh, in front of empty, empty grandstands. It's stands. the Tony Canaan syndrome, isn't it? Uh, you know, I'll come back and do a few, a few races. We, we, it's set up an interesting situation though, Dex, where next year potentially six Ducatis, only two Suzukis, and four of the other teams. Yeah, and and just what what you haven't mentioned is the uh, Grassini is likely at this point to, mm. to come back uh, based on a a, a, a Fiat five hundred yeah. uh, full of cash being uh, reversed into their driveway. <laughs> yeah, the way I, the way uh, I was reading that is, it, sorry, Jack, am I right that Grassini are going to be running a second a satellite team and Aprilia are going to come in and have four bikes? Was Grassini going to run the only team? I'm a bit confused. I, I that think thought. that's. I read that as they were going to run the only team. Oh, because so I read it that it was like, going to be four bikes. Well, they've. Oh, really? It was worded not weirdly, but but the way it was worded it was, was worded committed, strangely. But they've committed. They they're committing to a Priya. That to Nick's point doesn't mean there won't be in a factory a Priya team. Well, Another factory because, a Priya team because they turned around. So the whole thing with now was was what, what they were going to do next was was leveraging on what um, Dovi was going to do. But they've already got you know obviously Alesh is doing really well. They they've um, Alesh is doing other, well. The guy had a good weekend. I've forgotten his Savadori. name. Savadori. Savadori was terrible. Cool. I'm having a terrible name. I do no, he was good. He and was he looked, good. He suddenly actually looked, looked like decent. Suddenly with the bike. And then they were let the, down, both let down by mechanical. Then just, but that's, yeah. they're looking at Dovin. They were talking about nicking uh, Battistini, is it, from uh, Ducati potentially. So it looks like they're talking about four names. I think they're looking at running two teams. But if, if anyone on Twitter knows better, please tell me. That's how so, I read that. Was it going to be four Aprilias next year? Well, so Dovi and Alish in the factory lineup, and then Grassini with Federal Oil sponsorship bringing up Fabio de Gian Antonio. Yes, because because Fausto really really he's liked on a Calix. He's on a Calix. <laughs> Sorry, you Sorry, can't that's... hear that, can you? Uh, I think I think that's a real. I do think that's a real possibility. Um, don't I, I mean? Who would you put with Fabio DG and, and Antonio? Uh, uh, I put Raúl Fernández, oh. but uh, I don't think I don't think you'd be able to get the. Don't think they have the money to get him away from from the Red Bull ecosystem. I think KTM are going to just wrap him in cash. And where does Remy, uh, Remy Gardner go next year? The same. Well? I think. I think. Uh, if, and I know it's too early to do next year's preview. I think Eker will. Uh, will the the Eker experiment. Yeah. Lekawona experiment and 
And I think Petrucci, they'll just think he's a little too old and he's okay. He's not bad, but I think his upside is not the upside of of, a, of Raul Fernandez and Remy Gardner from both a, a marketing and a uh, and an age perspective. So, and a talent perspective. So I think I love the idea of of Dovi on a um, uh, on, on a, a pillar. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I do. I do. I really do. Maybe a, a Mizano wild card. He won't, he's not the wild card. Into his I don't think we've seen him this more. year. I, I think, don't think we'll see him on a... He's sitting there waiting. To, he, he's in wait and see moment, seeing if something better turns up. And then but passing off with, I need to do more testing. That's what he's doing. He's got a very smart manager. Put it that way. He does. Uh, it's Simone Badestini, isn't it, who, who looks after him? Is that right? Uh, no, uh, that's no. That you're you seem to be uh, uh, mixing up AC Milan strikers there. Uh, which Baristella, is, uh, Baristella. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and Gabriel Simone Inzaghi and Gabriel Ballastuda are managing him together. Okay, that seems reasonable. Uh, t- uh, Tim Gray up in London uh, for a quick chat. I realise we're, we're into overtime. We're well into we, overtime, we, so we need but, to uh, need to move on. Uh, okay, because fine. this weekend we have a 34 car race at the Hockenheim Ring. 12 hours of the aforesaid. Yes. Thank you. Um, Dex, Dex, we can let you go now. Thank you for that before we, we move on to the mega mate. And uh, we'll speak to you again because I feel there will be more to talk about after this weekend. Cheers, mate. Come on, top wreck. <laughs> all right, sorry. Go, go, Scott. We're going to be playing the top cat skit theme next week. We are. Don't we? Top no wreck. Yeah, and come on, Eileen, for... Uh, no, well, poor old Johnny Ray, yes, exactly. Thanks, Dex. Good night, God bless. All right, take Cheers, care. Mate. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, this weekend, then, uh, Nick, it is yeah. the 12 hours of the Hockenheim ring. Well done to Kravetnik for getting it all together with a good, a oh, really yeah. good entry. Um, and, and, a, and a unique break in our two halves. Mm. Now we've had three and eight, three and nines, and four and eights, and everything else. Six and, and six and a half, and five and a half. Six and a half in the first day, five and a half yes. in the second day. Both of them starting in the afternoon. So obviously, there's something in the morning that's there sharing is. the track. Well, there is. On Sunday morning, you've got a three hour bell car race. And yes. on Saturday, oh. obviously, you've got uh, qualifying for the qualifying. Uh, 12 hours. And both days, so we've it, got a Dutch Supercar Challenge race as well, which uh, well, all very, very close, very close to the Border. the hearts of of everybody at uh, at Creventic. Um, there are a lot of German Ka- entries in uh, in this yes. uh, twelve hour race. So, so uh, Hockenheim, after it substituted last year for the uh, twenty four hours of Barcelona by hosting the sixteen hours of not Barcelona, uh, has a shorter <laughs> race this year. Uh, uh, as I say, a lot of German entries, uh, as you expect from Kuventic. And we have it live in sound and vision as well. Uh, and apparently, we've just been asked to do some bonus coverage of the support races as well. <laughs> right, okay. So, uh, that should be... Of the Dutch so Supercar I... Challenge. I don't think we're doing Belcar. The Supercar Challenge races. Okay, fine. So, well, okay. So, that means that I'll probably have to come out of retirement for, for that then. Well, you um, covered it, it before, of course, John. Back I at have. Silverstone in 2009. And Sandfort, I think, as well. Um, GT3, we've got... Yes, big emission. Yeah. Whom? Who are you talking 91. about? 91. The 91, the main Herbert, the Herbert. Yeah, oh, oh, yes, there. I was going to say only one Herbert. You're absolutely right. Jürgen Haring, uh, Bobby Gonzalez, Tim Muller, and Alfred Renauer. So we are only half of a Herbert, which I think is and, only a and her. In a Ferrari as well. 
Oh. Oh, my God, I hadn't seen that. I need to now go and lie down in a darkened <laughs> room because I hadn't seen that they are running a Ferrari no, and not they a Porsche. Were in a, they were in a Ferrari, weren't they, in, in, in another race, not a, not a Creventic race recently because there weren't enough Porsches to go around. What is I'm that about? I'm trying to know what, what, what race they're in, where they end up, the Renaults end up running a, running a ben, Ferrari. Ben's in the pits for us at the weekend, so we need... Ah, Chile and all. Uh, the, don't forget, they're running a Ferrari of, at Le Mans. That's what it was. Thank you, thank you to Shay, who's yeah. reminded me why I said, why on earth are they running a Ferrari? The reason is because there weren't enough Porsches to go around. But this, of course, is a different Ferrari that they can get used to. But the, 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 the stellar, all-time, longest-serving 91 car, the Bon Alleman Renault Renault car, just isn't there. We just have um, one, one Renault in the 92. But we have got a return of the other stalwart in GT3 uh, for Creventic Racing. That's CP Racing are back. With the yeah. Americans, Charles Put- uh, the Charles Putnam, uh, Putnam and Esplanade with Joe Foster, Shane Lewis uh, named in that car as well. I have a suspicion um, that uh, some of the other uh, Mich- there's only two cars in the car collection motorsport. Uh, Audi, two drivers rather. I suspect that we might see a few more of them. The Gosners have their family outing with Thomas David and Corinna in the MP Racing AMG GT3. Um, uh, we have car collection. Do we have two car collection? I thought we saw. Yes. Um, so we've got the uh, Dr. Johannes Kirchhoff with Gustav Evelhoff, Elmer Grimm and Max Edelhoff. Right, those are the the, the drivers we expect to see in that. Pierre Kaffer heads up a team which I think looks very interesting um, for uh, Retronic Racing by TECE in an Audi. Um, And then you've got Seb Morris, British GT... You need reality TV star, Seb Morris. I I wouldn't know. I never watch reality TV. (laughs) Except when it's actually reality. Um, Seb Morris, GT4, British GT champion? He's um, Andy uh, Merrick's protégé, uh, isn't he? Yeah, uh, and he's got Tyler Cook from the US, along with uh, Fidel Lieb from Germany, and uh, Brandon Leach. Yeah, but, you're, but you're, you're skipping all around the pit team I think are the favourite, which is Scuderia Praha. It's a different realm. It isn't Matteo Maticelli, but it's still Joseph Kral, who knows what he's doing in a Creventic race. And they, of course, ran really, really well last time out as well. Oh, yeah, I've, I very much am. Um, Matthias Weibo and Dennis Vazek in the Evo 2019-488. Do you think they would be favourites in that, then? I think so, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, I know the Pierre Keffer team were unlucky last time. But, yeah, and looking I, good. I, and and I, I don't know enough about the other guys um, outside Jürgen Harig and Alfa Renau. I'm not sure about Bobby Gonzalez. I'm not saying he's good nor bad. I just don't know enough about the pace of Bobby Gonzalez and Tim Muller. You know how that, T- well, that Tim Muller's tidy. Um, and it's driven Porsches before. Uh, in in GTX, there's the variety of of cars, including the crossbows from Reiter, um, which has got the Felbermeyers, the Algemeyers in that. Nico Cox, Nico, uh, sorry, Peter Cox, Nico Pronk uh, in the other one. Uh, and interesting, I know this is amazing. This interesting, one. it's the bright. So we've got, as I mentioned before, we've. Uh, got the Gusner um, family outing. We have um, the Breukers fam- family outing in a 911 GT3 Cup 992. Have they, they, they finally worn out that poor Seat Cooper? No, hang on, though. No. The, the key thing about this, Nick, 
that's a 992 GT3 Cup. That's a brand new car for this it's year. Yeah. It was the what, same 992 brand new car that they ran in the last Preventic race, isn't it? Yes. Oh, don't forget, I was doing a, uh, a very long endurance race for uh, sim racing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, I think that's very interesting uh, that they're running the 992 G. That car runs at G- almost GT3 pace in GT3 Cup as we have seen. And in fact, I'll be talking about it at the weekend at Zuhai. If you... Actually, it's not that early. It's 7 o'clock in the UK. Um, so before we go racing at Hockenheim, you can have a bit of Porsche Cup, Carrera Cup racing uh, as well at the weekend. 991 Cup class is well sorted. Um, and actually, it's very well sorted, including Harry Hildeskis, Bessem, and Baz Barenberg for NKPP. In fact, Baz Kooten's got a couple of cars there with Marcel van Berlo, Glenn van Berlo, and Bart van Helden, who will change his name to van Berlo at the weekend. So that will be the van Berlo uh, family outing. GT4, a bit sparse with just, just a couple two of, of them, entries. But two competitive ones. Very much so, with Pro Sport, Nico Vedonk, Rodrigo Gion, Kart Henson in the uh, Aston Martin. And you the can't BMW pick a GT4. winner from those two. Well, Samtan's in ST. Uh, Samtan, Chandler Hull, John Miller and Nick Vitmer um, are all semi-pros. Well, Sam's uh, uh, an arm, but um, that's pretty good. And in TCR, Six well, pick a winner well. from that, Nick. Autorama, yeah, GSR, Top Car, Bonk, <laughs> AC. I mean, that's a good TCR field, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's, what we've, that's been the... Um, signature really of the last you know couple of seasons really of Creventi they've always managed to turn out a really competitive TCR field as well as now they've got a couple of TCX which have effectively run on the same sort of pace I'm sure in their garages feel they're racing them um but yeah well, uh, Colin, great TCR yeah Colin, Colin White and Jean-Francois Bruno running the genetic the stalwart genetic G55 and there's a Leon Cup car in there as well for the all BMW this uh, time so we're up to three in TCX Yes. Uh, well, no, that's running in just TC. Uh, sorry, no, there's, there's an M4, M4 GTR. GTR yes, yeah. for Munkhoff, um, who we've seen before. Mark Poland and Eric von, Munch, uh, von der Munkhoff, um is in that. And there's a C2, BMW M2 C2 I think racing. That get, I, that'll, get, is that, that'll get rolled into one of the other classes, I bet you. I agree. You'll that's find the Partles. And, and it says TC because I haven't decided whether they're going to put it yet until I've practiced. TC dot, 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 dot. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, when do we start with that? So that's nine o'clock. Sorry, nine o'clock German time, eight o'clock UK time for qualifying. All right. So that is literally just after I've finished with the um, Porsche Carrera Cup Asia. Then at Zhuhai. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. What do you know about Zhuhai, Nick? Uh, the terrible smog. <laughs> Not anymore. Awful air quality. Nobody's got awful air quality anymore. Nobody's okay. been going anywhere. I think you'll find that their air quality isn't actually generated by aircraft. It's generated by about 10 million gas coal-fired stations around. Oh, okay. Uh, anyway, that's at the weekend as well. Saturday and Sunday, same time, about 7 o'clock in the morning. And a quick reminder that we've got Simcast tomorrow kicking things off at 8 o'clock. We have. They're, ex- they're excited about new peripherals. And at 9... <laughs> stop it. Matt, and Matt's playing uh, with a Thrustmaster again, basically. Uh, is he... Is he? We need to talk to him about that. Um, and the and at nine o'clock we will have uh, on the grid 
Scott McLaughlin, his, I guess his half-term report or certainly quarter-term report uh, on that with the guys and a top 10 of underrated Australian racing drivers. Uh, do we have anything tonight after us? Or we is that don't, coming later? no. Uh, okay, fine. Which is lucky because we've uh, run 15 we have minutes run over. into it. So. <laughs> uh, that's fine. Uh, thank you very much to Ben Consiguris, to David Wilson, and uh, also to Shea Adam, Declan Brennan, and Nick Damon, our regular contributors. Our executive producer was up in London. And was Tim Gray. And the responsible adult is Eve Hewitt. I'm John Hindhoff. Thanks for joining us. Check the website for all the details. Scroll down to the bottom. You can make it work with your calendar. And it auto-converts to your time zone. Radio-show.co.uk Thanks for being us tonight. I'm off to listen to that David Wilson interview again and find out what he actually told us. Could I have a feeling there's just something more in there than I realised when I was talking to him? No time to explain. The llama is a lampshade. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. For more, subscribe to Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts.